As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Sex Caliber Bones a lot. Madeline, Edward, Sunzi, Alyssa, Vixen, Holly, Natasha, Laura, Boise, Jeremy, Allie, Mr. Ragebomb, Libby, Wes, Aaron, Kristen, Tia, Jonathan, Isaac, and Karun. And this week, because it's the listener request, it's also that special time of the month where we get to shout out our You Can Get It level sponsors, and they are... Jason, Samantha, Rhoda, Trevor, Renee, Tara, Jennifer, Levi, Caitlin, Kate, Dharma, Grace, Amanda, the playwright, Alexandra, Brooklyn, Bryce, Sean, Logan, Dominic, James, Shayna, Ali, Dr. Voorhees, MD, Robert, Megan, Amelia, Maxwell, Liza, Martha, AJ, Radioactive, Spider Gwen, Rock Donkey, Irene, Nene, Omi, Brex, Amy, Laura Lubu, Cameron, Kaylee, Daisy, Jackie, Tyson, Elisa, Mushroom Snail Fox, and Intentionally Badass, aka Jennifer. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome horror virgin community. If you want to hang out with us, do so in the Facebook group where we hang out hiding from raptors that definitely know how to open doors daily. Jake saw this in the movie theater. I saw it in the movie theater. I was too young, uh, but I saw it very soon after. But Jake saw this in the movie theater with his grandfather, who was an old Texas farmer. And the first time they saw the like brachiosaurus, like the big long necks on the screen, his grandfather audibly in the theater just went, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> <laughs> just like silently irreverently. <laughs> They did find out it was butter in my eye. <laughs> Paige, you got butter in your eye and had to wear an eye patch for a week. Mrs. Butter Worthless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, because it's Christmas Day, guys, this episode comes jingle, out jingle. on Christmas Day. You guys got to pick any movie you wanted us to watch, and you made us watch Jurassic, Jurassic Park! Park! Which, honestly... Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. This is a wonderful gift. I appreciate it. What a present. So, was this the first time any of us had seen this movie? No. No. I don't think so. <laughs> when was the first time you all saw it? Uh, who wants to go first? Because I'm sure we each have a first time watching Jurassic Park story. For sure. Mikey, go first. Okay. Uh, it was in the summer because it was a summer blockbuster. I was way too young to watch it, like five or six. No, 93, I was six. So you were older. Ooh, I must have been like eight, eight or nine. Yeah. 
I remember being very small, and then we went to the theater, and we were at my grandmother's, like, in Mississippi, so, like, all my cousins and I went, and I just remember, it was, like, fucking scary <laughs> as a child to watch this film, but uh, I think this is one of the few, like, I think this is one of Spielberg's best, and, like, I, I think it's, like, probably one of the best summer blockbusters that's ever been made, and it, hold, it holds up to this day, <laughs> and, like, I think it's a- fuck up! Yeah, man. I think it's a credit to his work, and then, like, people kind of are like, well, what's Spielberg do? And I'm like, he did a lot. He did a lot of a really lot. good entertaining films that hold up. Not recently. Timeless classic. <laughs> but back in the day, you couldn't yeah. miss. He lost the shine maybe, but like he used to be great. Well, I think he made like 20 of these and then he's like, yes. I'm just going to like kind of mess around and do what I want. I sort of like when people do that. I feel the same way about Daniel Radcliffe. Like he like made so much money early in his career. He's now in the fuck it. I'm going to do whatever I want. Following the Eli- Elijah Wood career of acting, yes. which I love too. Yeah, I like a good Spielberg sci-fi. Uh, Same, you know, kind of thing. I love Spielberg. I think he's great. I like '80s and '90s Spielberg. I do think that's peak Berg. Yeah, that's yeah. like peak Spielberg up there. But like, I, he still makes great movies. <laughs> Pages, meh. Yeah, I watched the one about <laughs> his childhood. I thought it was really good, you know. But it was a very personal story, and I think the more you know, it's not like these. He knows how to make a film like this that is entertaining to the world. Yes. And then I think he's been telling a lot more personal stories or getting into things. And, you know, that's not for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he basically made a film about his, like, unstable mom last summer. And I watched it. And it was very entertaining. But, like, if you think people are going to love unstable moms like they love dinosaurs, you're incredibly mistaken. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Here's the thing. I want him to have all the space in the world to make those quieter smaller movies that he wants to make i want him to be able to make the fablemans it's great it is aggressively not for me i thought that movie was boring as shit yeah i, <laughs> I didn't even couldn't see make it. it through it spielberg's <laughs> one of those directors where i love his like crowd pleasers the ones where he's like trying to bring people in yeah but i don't i don't check out his entire catalog because and honestly it's a testament to his success he can now sort of fuck around and do whatever he wants you sure. know which is great and he's earned that right you yeah, know 100%. but like that, that means that it's going to be hyper specific and i might not like it you know you yeah, go exactly. you go jaws you go yeah you know this you go in between that then you go schindler's list i, I, I mean like after schindler's list he's like well you know i've done ev- i mean he he did everything and then yeah. like i think he's in a, he does a lot for production and stuff like that i feel like he signs on as a producer to a lot of things that I like. Mm -hmm. I just think that he has chosen to make very specific movies that are his pet projects as far as directing. Mm -hmm. I tend to not like those. I do still tend to like the ones that he signs on as a producer because he picks good projects too. That's also very important. Yeah, It's got to be weird to be like, I've accomplished everything I ever went out to accomplish as a director in like the first 20 years. I mean, he sort of invented the blockbuster, like yeah, the summer way. blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like Jaws sort of invented that. And then he did it again with like Indiana Jones. And like, yeah. dude, he just kept like making amazing movies. I mean, I, I, I still really liked, uh, I think maybe, oh no, West Side Story was the most recent one, the re- most recent movie of his that I liked. Oh, I did like his West Side what Story. What an unnecessary remake <laughs> slash no, pet was done really well and and i say that as someone who was like 
an obsessive fan of the original. I still prefer the original, but I love the modern version. The choices they made in the modern version, I thought, were very well thought out. Me too. And, and served the story. So I actually really yeah. did like the modern version. But Ready Player One was right before that, and that movie slaps. Oh, no, I, no, no. thank you. Aggressively, no. <laughs> hard well, did pass. You, did you both read the book? Yes. yes. Yeah, that's where you fucked up. Also hard pass. <laughs> I, I don't like the book either. <laughs> Someone threw him a ton of money. Yeah. It's one of those where I'm like, yeah, I was like, both of these are a no for me. I liked the book when I read it the first time, like in college or whatever. And then um, I reread it and I was like, oh, I've, I've grown up quite a bit since the last time I read yeah. this book. I read this book. But I mean, yeah, if you told me the guy who made Jaws and Jurassic Park and like also makes like the most like the most serious, like, you know, well, you know, like the made Schindler's List, uh, like yeah. a poignant and film Schindler's on Holocaust. Schindler's List is so fucking good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Heartbreaking. Yes. But like he started off with like a summer blockbuster horror movie about a killer shark. I mean, like that's a, love it. That is a journey. It is a journey. <laughs> well, but I feel the same way about James Cameron, right? Like right in, in the same time period, give or take James Cameron again could not miss. And now he just wants to make weird movies about submarines and, and blue alien people that no one wants to watch. So like you say no one wants to watch, but those movies make more money than uh, almost every other movie out there. I mean, Terminator 2 is probably the best action film of all time. I still prefer the first one, but that's just me. Two is still phenomenal. But speaking of books, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, further in the episode, because I have read almost all of these books. Mikey, I would guess. Yes, I've read all the Jurassic Park books. Yes. They're books? Question mark? Oh, boy. Hmm. No, I know Michael Crichton wrote them, right? Yes. Crichton. Very much like the Spielberg of authors. Very much like just was banging yeah. out the hits. Oh, fucking hits, man. Like... Todd, I would encourage you, maybe not Jurassic Park, because I do feel like the books and the movies diverge pretty drastically with Jurassic Park, but they're still good. But I would say hit up some Crichton on audiobook because it's a good fucking time. Yeah, I don't have time, though. Like, I really don't have yeah. time. Like, I'm just really busy. Yeah, I mean, it's just like they they slap almost as hard as all of the movies based on them. And like, this is another thing of like Crichton wrote a million and a half books around this time. Almost all of them are movies. Some of them mm -hmm. good. Some of them Congo. But like almost <laughs> all of them are movies. Congo is almost a perfectly bad movie. Though. It is almost a perfectly bad movie. That yeah. is true. The book is good, too. But all of his books are better than that. Okay, first time I saw this movie, because that's where we started and then went on a corn maze. Uh, okay, I was probably <laughs> eight or nine. The movie sure. had been out, right? So, because I was six when this movie came out. Yeah, I didn't see it in theaters either, Paige. Yeah. yeah, I was way too young to see this in theaters. But by the time I was eight or nine, I was already super into Star Wars and I had seen one of the alien films on accident. Because you had good parents is what you're saying. We get it. I had great parents. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I had good parents. Uh, I also, because like, I, I got obsessed with Star Wars and then I think my dad was like, okay, we got to find other space shit for her to watch. And so he showed me The Wrath of Khan, which like- Not as good as Star I Wars. I don't know if you've seen that, Todd. It's a Star Trek movie. Yeah. Star Trek. Uh, and it is aggressively bad great, uh, but it terrified my sister. But so I think my parents had seen this and like thought about like, would she like it? Not sure, but hadn't showed it to me yet. I ended up hanging out at a friend's house. And so we were at her single dad's house after school. And he was like, I'm going to buy you guys pizza and then you can rent whatever movie or whatever. We chose Jurassic Park. Heck yeah, you did. Heck yeah, we did. We And we didn't like we had heard it because it was so famous. Right. So like we sure, had heard yeah. of it and had never seen it. And 
her dad looks at it and he's like, are you sure? And we were like, yeah. He bought us pizza, sat us down in the living room while he went to go work or whatever. He was like a physical therapist or something like that. Wank. No, for real. <laughs> like, that is what he actually does. But we we sat in the living room scared fucking shitless. That pizza went almost untouched because we were just, like, crunched up. But then at the end of it, we just turned to each other and we were like, that was fucking awesome, right? Like, that was, like, one of the coolest things we've ever seen. And then they dropped me off at home at my house, and I was immediately like, I watched Jurassic Park, and my dad was like, oh, <laughs> that, that like, uh, of like, is, is she going to have to sleep in our bed for like two months now or whatever? And I was just like, it was awesome. And he was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank okay. God. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I will never forget she and I watching it for the first time, just like so tense, screaming, and it was I loved it pretty much from the first time forward. The first time I saw this, I um, was, I'm pretty sure, being babysat. And I was probably too young to watch it. I had older siblings, so I saw a lot of things like that in those situations that I probably sh saw before I should have seen them. And it scared the shit out of me. I remember when the T-Rex attacked, like, having a hard time watching that as a child. I remember being very scared the T-Rex was going to break that flimsy fucking glass roof and eat up the kids. Ugh, you know, yeah. I, I just remember being very scared by this in that scene and especially like the uh, two kids running from the raptors, man. In the kitchen scene, there's, it's so mm -hmm. fucking tense. Yep. This whole thing kicks off. With like a very horror cold open too. Like oh, yeah. it does not pull punches at the beginning. I mean it is and I get why people would say this isn't horror. I disagree. I, I also disagree. don't care. So like if you argue with me about it, I'm not going to argue back just because I don't care. I think it's a zombie movie with dinosaurs instead of zombies. It hits a lot of the same beats. That's fine. I also think that it doesn't matter. Well, the book is even scarier. Yeah, and like the, the book, book is goes scarier. way into horror, I think, more yeah. so than sure. this. Yeah. I will definitely say if you don't think this is horror, you have to at least admit it has horror elements. Yeah. Because the cold open is a horror movie cold open minus the blood. Like you don't see anything. Right. But it's so tense. Look, I've watched some silly horror movies, so I'm ready to watch some horror action movies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I had to watch Hereditary. Y'all can sit through a Jurassic <laughs> Park episode. No complaints for me. Loved it. My And my parents did like immediately hand me the books after this because they were like, she can read. <laughs> like it's And the movies are good because it sets up the visuals, but like the books go way into everything, way into park operations, way into all these things. That's cool. It's, it's good. Yeah. There's more characters. There's more deaths in the book. Yeah, there's a lot sure. more deaths in the book. Who would have thought this beloved classic that is universally loved we would have also liked <laughs> yeah, i know right, right? I, I love this movie i think some things don't necessarily age well but i think most of it i well, think most okay, of it there's something well. the unix system not so much <laughs> yeah like, so like oh, the shit. unix system the fact that like uh we're supposed to like hate the lawyer who just wants to make sure what definitely is gonna happen happens until he changes his mind halfway through and is like it could happen but think of the money <laughs> now that's a lawyer and i was like i thought he was a lawyer not an accountant <laughs> oh okay so that's one of the biggest changes from the books to the movie is like yes. john hammond is a fucking asshole in the books like he oh, is the he's villain. A villain 
That's insane because in this movie, he's literally the Santa Claus from Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, he's like, I'm Grandpa Dinosaur. I've yes. changed my mind because of my grandchildren. In the books, he's like, it was worth their deaths. We must move forward. And you're like, yes. <laughs> wait, <laughs> do they die in the books? No. Okay. But like a bunch of people die. And he's not particularly concerned with saving them in the books. Like, he wants to save them, but if they die, they die. He's kind of like the Ivan Drago of Isla Nublar. He's dead. <laughs> okay, so John... Hammond in the books is like Elon Musky, you know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah, imagine you know that saying? a super rich capitalist lacking <laughs> empathy. Well, and that's the the thing of the second book. So, the, like the the movies, like I said, diverge wildly. But in the second book, it's much more about this like tech company that buys out Hammond and his stake and doesn't really understand the dinosaurs or anything and wants to revitalize the park on a second island. And they literally have to go back and rescue people because they just didn't pay attention to any of it. And it's Malcolm and somebody else are, are the second book. Grant and Sattler don't come back, but... I have a question about Jeff Goldblum, I, who I think is Malcolm, right? That's Malcolm, right? Yeah. yeah. So what branch of science is he other than just like... He's a mathematician. Okay, so the whole chaos stuff he's talking the whole movie is just like not... A thing like I, no, I was trying to figure theory. out that whole like it, it's, sure. it's a real theory, but he he technically and I think yeah, and I think in in the book they go into this a little bit more that he's there for like risk assessment. Oh, where he's okay. like statistically this is likely to go wrong, like an actuary. Yeah, but he's a theoretical mathematician. I yeah. do think that he's my favorite character because he just like walks around like bemused at all the chaos that he sees. Yeah, but he's like. Approaching, quote, chaos like your friend who's, like, super into astrology. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude can't stop talking about it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, he wrote about it. So, like, it's his thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But, like, bro, let's, you're not even here to do chaos theory or whatever. He's a narcissist in the book, too. He he is. And he's wild in the book. But correct me if I'm wrong, Mikey. You might remember. They do some retooling of his character in the second book since he's the main yes. character. He's less yes. of an asshole hole in the second book okay. and he's like now i have daughters and you're like that's oh. what it was yeah, yeah i was yeah. like he it's him and his partner and kids yeah that they end up having to survive the second island as opposed to the second movie which is not a horror movie at all it's it's just like what if we took a dinosaur to America and yeah. then you know they really abandoned a really Ugh. interesting book I do want to say this about this movie mm. uh, I think it's very brave of really like the whole Jurassic Park franchise to have six movies and only one good one that's accurate I wouldn't argue with you at all because I love this movie and I don't really care for any of the other ones. And I've seen, I think, five of the six. I didn't see the most recent Jurassic World, but I like Jurassic World 1 because it was basically this again. And I like yes. this. <laughs> I, I would say Jurassic World is maybe the closest that comes to this. And it's still not this. This is still groundbreaking. Yeah. I do like the little like rover pods that they have in Jurassic World. I think those are cool. Yeah. The tech in Jurassic World is cool. Yeah. But that movie also has uh, Bryce Dallas Howard running everywhere in heels. Yeah. Just wrecking her ankles for later Take life. You know what I'm saying? Your like damn shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Madness. Do we just want to get into this one? I don't think this episode's going to be very long because I think it's going to be one of those where we're like, this fucking rocks. Anyway, next scene. This is 
awesome also. I mean, this movie does fucking rock. There's like stuff I want to say about certain scenes, but it pretty much boils down to this rocks. So, I mean, like we're going to like. A lot of my notes are, damn, these helicopter shots are just beautiful. They are beautiful. <laughs> They're insane. They're so good. But yeah, maybe we just go through it and we'll go through it. Yeah. So, first of all, one of the things that we get over the early credits, because they we only get a couple credits and we cut into the cold open and scenes over the credits. Yeah. But we get our first taste of one of what I would say is one of the most iconic film scores of this century. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. This is John Williams, right? It's John Williams. Yeah. yeah. Again, hits don't stop coming. No. That dude still writes good scores. I know. And we're going to lose him soon. And I'm sad I about know. that because, man, every film score you love was John Williams. He does great work. Anyway, so damn good film score. And we're seeing what looks like raptors in the woods. We will find out that it is the raptor enclosure. Yeah. But you see like the trees swaying. It's clear something's moving back behind the tree line. Right. Okay. I will say watching this in modern day, I was like, is that forklift powerful enough to lift that dinosaur and that cage without tipping over that high? Absolutely not. (laughs) There there are a few (laughs) things like that in this movie. I was like... Wait a minute. <laughs> watch it a little too close. You're like, hey, wait a second. It was just like, they don't focus on it, but it was a very small forklift. Like, they made <laughs> bigger was. forklifts. Yeah. Well, clearly, this is just setting up the we spared no expense being a joke throughout the movie because they needed a bigger forklift. They needed a, a fucking, like, cage that wouldn't be able to be pushed away by the raptor. <laughs> in the jo- in the movie and the books, he says that a lot, but the joke is, and they, like, they, they go into it more in the book is, he says it, but they actually spared every expense. Yes, yes. every single expense. I mean, he is a capitalist, so like he's going to try and squeeze as much money out of us as he can. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, Jurassic Park, the book, super anti-capitalist. If you're like, hey, why do all of our kids that grew up watching Jurassic Park have anti-capitalist leanings? All of our best literature was about it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Chiron, Isla Nublar, they're trying to load a new raptor in. And they've got the tasers on, but the raptor pushes the cage back. One of the guys trying to load the raptor in falls near enough to the enclosure and gets yanked back into it. They grab him. And then the scariest part, his body moves to the top of the door. It's clear that the dinosaur, the raptor, has his lower half in his mouth and is lifting it up. Yes. And it is scary, guys. Like, as a nine-year-old or however old I was, I lost my mind. Yeah. Well, and this is your first indication of like something in there is fucking big and it's something we can't control. Yeah. Immediately. So they lose that guy. (laughs) They close the raptor gate. Cut to guy standing on a platform in Mano de Dios, Ambermine in the Dominican Republic. And like people are like pulling him on this like little wood platform across like not a river, but like bigger than a stream. You know what I'm saying? Like it's right. It's a decent way. Well, and I I do like, because watching things for the show is always a little bit different because you watch it from a different lens. And yeah. what they do in this scene is this is the lawyer. This is Gennaro that we'll, we'll meet later. Uh, but in this scene, he's like, you guys have a pretty f- fucking big lawsuit on your hands. So I'm inspecting everything. And yeah. that sets up the whole reason for the movie to happen in just a couple sentences. They do a really good job. But this is also where we see the amber with the mosquito. 
Yeah. But also, as they're walking through the mine, he's like, they want experts out to the island. I've already got Ian Malcolm because he's hot right now. And that's because Ian Malcolm in the books is like a popular. He wrote a big popular book, I think. It's it's like philosophy and science at the same time where he's like, scientific data says this. We can theorize that or whatever. He wrote the secret. He basically wrote the secret of the book world in the books. <laughs> but it's all chaos magic through numbers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's all chaos magic and like whatever like i i don't yeah i don't know that chaos theory is a thing anymore is it yeah technically i do have a book like that coming out this year next year actually before christmas next year no strings attached theory <laughs> there's only one universe and in it you don't get quesadillas <laughs> but it's, i mean there is and there isn't we would call it things like quantum mechanics and stuff now which okay. honestly Crichton is kind of obsessed with and it ends up in a lot of his books I'm here for it yeah like the theories and stuff of the time anyway so he also mentions Alan Grant who we will meet in just a second uh, but he's like oh you'll never get Alan Grant he's like me he's a digger we cut to Montana where they are trying to dig up a dinosaur skeleton now here's a question that I did not have as a child that I do have as an adult the fuck are all these kids doing there? That is a Why good question. Why are they there? I thought the same thing. I was like, who brought little Mikey here to get yelled at by Sam Neill's character? First off, little Mikey loved archaeology and would never have disrespected Alan Grant like that. This is not archaeology, by the way. This is paleontology. My archaeologist yeah. friend is very specific about that. <laughs> okay, nerd. I would imagine there is some overlap um, where like, you're no. digging down and you find a dinosaur bone and you're like, fuck, I need a paleontologist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is what happens. I know. I think these kids are on a field trip is what I'm saying. Now, we did have a group chat discussion about Ellie Sadler and Alan Grant's relationship. And then I was like, I never really paid attention. And I'm going to rewatch it and pay attention. I wonder if it's bad. Because I was like, oh, my God, is she his, like, doctoral student or anything? That's what I always thought. And I'm glad that wasn't the case. Is it that way in the book? Is that why I think I that? I don't think so, because she's, like, a different doctor than him. She, he's a paleontologist, and she's she, a... She's a botanist. She's a she's a paleobotanist. Yeah. Yeah, she does plants. He does animals. That's what it is. Yeah. For some reason, I always thought that either she was, like, a grad student or something, and that's how they had, like, met... But the movie never establishes that. And I don't remember if that's the case in the book. But like she was definitely not a student currently. And I was very thankful for that in this. Yeah, for sure. And they honestly watch, watching it back. They don't seem that different in age. I know they are in the book. I know that's a thing in the book that, that she is much younger. Or oh, the actors are. The actors are 20 years apart. Sam Neill was born in 47 and Laura Dern in 67. He just looks good for his age. He does look good for his age. He clearly is older than her. I don't think it, sure. it doesn't look crazy. I do think in yes. real life, 20 years is a long time. Okay, and they don't have like, he, he's not very creepy in the movie at least. No. they. It's very implied that they're together. It's not very romantic romantic between them you know what i'm saying like it's well, sweet. And, and in the book it is romantic in the book they are sure, sure. definitively a couple well they are in the movie too it's just not over accentualized you know like you don't see it yes a lot. but and they put some of this in the movie but in the book it's a huge thing that he doesn't like kids and she wants kids yes and so that's like their interpersonal thing that we get a little bit of but is is more in the book and so, yeah, I thought it was good. Like, the subtlety of their relationship in the film was good. But, I, yeah, I was worried about, yeah. I was like, oh, man, I've never analyzed that. So, but they're like, she's already a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. she's fully an adult. Anyway, 
a helicopter lands on the dig site. Or, well, first he freaks this one kid out with a raptor claw. I love that Sam Neill is not above talking shit to a nine-year-old version of Mikey. And that was, like, one of my favorite parts of this movie. He, like, mimes cutting his dick off. That kid is aggressively the only kid, though. Because if you look around, there's, like, other teens. That kid is by far the youngest and the only one. Yeah. Where you're like, who brought their kid to the dig? Yeah, is it bring your kid to work day? Like, why is this child at this <laughs> dig site? No idea. But I do remember that as a kid being like, whoa, it could rip your intestines out. I mean, it's good foreshadowing. I mean, it it's really good, was. Like, it really is good foreshadowing. It really does a good job of letting you know what the stakes are once they're on the loose. And it yes. makes them, I think, the scarier element, even than the T-Rex. Because the T-Rex is big and can't sneak up on you like a a raptor does in this movie. Like, they are hunters. That's scary. Which, okay, this brings up my giant criticism of a Jurassic Park franchise in general. Okay, let's talk about it. Which is, if you're going to do it, why don't just you clone herbivores to start, you know? And like, yeah. Why do they immediately go for meat you eaters? Mean your, your criticism of the theme park concept. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I also <laughs> understand. Like, I thought he was going of, like, the franchise. But Mikey's right. like, you know what you should have done to make this business viable? Right. Well, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> I mean, it almost can be a criticism of the franchise because I don't think... It can't be a criticism of the franchise because I think the franchise's purpose and point is to show that, like, Naked capitalism is a problem. And of course, yes. if you didn't give a fuck about, I don't know, your customers sure. uh, or your employees or whatever, you'd be like, right. yeah, I'm 100% going to bring in things that'll bring in people. Everyone wants to see a fucking T-Rex. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, but everyone wants to see a dinosaur. I mean, like if you were like, here's our stegosaurus and they would be like, oh, oh well. Yeah. Fuck, that's awesome. I would definitely want to still see a Stegosaurus, yeah. And, like, why did they even make more raptors? They have to keep them in a tiny pen because they're so dangerous and they've already killed a guy. I would have been like, this species isn't viable. Take it out. Well, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I remember in the book, Hammond, they have, like, not done their research at all in the book. And, right. and Malcolm kind of talks about that in the movie a little bit where he's like, you stood on the shoulders of other people and, and did this. You, you spent so much time asking if you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. That's a bigger theme in the book where they just cloned every, like any blood they could get their hands on and they didn't know what blood it was. So until they hatched, they didn't really know. And so they had raptors and whatever. And then they start breeding in the wild. So like, well, you know. And that points out something that I didn't realize the first time I watched this. That amber at the beginning of the movie is not the amber that's on Hammond's cane. No. That's another thing. So they've dug up many different mosquitoes stuck in amber to find, like, the shotgun approach to finding the right Right. mix of DNA to be able to build a dinosaur, which we come to find out they, like, hammered in amphibian frog DNA. But right. yeah, I just mean, you know, I've been like, they ate a guy. Why don't we just like get rid of that and then put more yeah. of the cute ones out? Yeah. Like, let's roll out some. Not even You can't even do compies because they're like chickens that'll eat you. But like, well, compies become scary in other Jurassic Park movies just no, by sheer yeah, yeah, volume. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, if you did it right, you could be like, now we have the I mean, Jurassic World had a petting zoo in it. 
Like, that's all you really need. Yeah, I'd definitely go see all the herbivores of the ancient world. I might. Then this is going to sound terrible because I'm the problem, right? I'm way more interested in seeing a T-Rex. Well, me too, Paige. Or fucking raptors. Like, I want to see sharks. Like, you know. No, Paige, I completely agree. And I think you're right. That's why that naked capitalism thing works as a theme because of that. But I also would want to go see a stegosaurus. So, like, if a dinosaur park opened that only had a stegosaurus and other various herbivores, I'd still be like, fucking dope, let's go. And you could eat them. Okay, Mikey, I knew you were going to bring this up on this episode, so I did prepare. Would I eat a dinosaur? Yeah, I probably would try dinosaur meat. Why we not? We get to go watch the stegosaurus, the bronchi, they all, they're all eating, they're grazing, we're petting them, and then you go back, and it's like giant Flintstone steak dinner. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you go back and you like, I want to eat Jeffrey. He's that one right there. I mean, they could go all the way and you hunt your own dinosaur. They could do that. Mikey, there's no way that park wouldn't exist. And they would have fucking fat dentists from the UK or wherever flying in helicopters, shooting raptors from the sky where they're perfectly safe and then taking a picture with them. No, not raptors. That's too high risk. Triceratopsis. That's what it yeah, that's the thing. It's like I would be a be- I'm a better capitalist than John Hammond. It's all I'm saying. I definitely agree. You are smarter than John Hammond. And probably like uh, his allegory in real life, Elon Musk. That dude's an idiot. And maybe like only half as evil. I don't know that Mikey wouldn't be evil if he was Elon Musk levels of rich, though. Like, I think. Oh, yeah. No, I think you would totally go dark. But who wouldn't be evil at that level? I struggle with that question, too, Mikey, because, like. I know. I don't think I'd be that evil. I'd be, like, personally evil to, like, individuals that I have grudges against. But, like, overall, I would try to do good. And I do think it would be, like, wildly dumb things. Like, I would wake up one morning and just my house was covered in, like, feet of snow. No, I would buy all the houses around you and then do something terrible to them so you couldn't sell your house? Wait, okay. What's everyone's (laughs) Jurassic Park? Where, like, if you were, like, ungodly rich, what's the theme park you would make that you think people would want to see? Or the attraction or whatever? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I do think it would go back to my park of extinct animals that you could hunt and eat. I do think that would be successful, Mikey. I really do. I know the GoDaddy guy would be into that, I think. Yeah. And like the hunting and eating is a small part, but it would have all the extinct animals that aren't majorly dangerous. Asterisk. Yeah. And then you could go around and see like the dodo bird or like the Tasmanian tiger or whatever. All the All the extinct big ones. And then some dinosaurs, and you could pick at the end, like, if you wanted, for an extra cost, you could try one. It's always an extra cost. Always, always. Todd, what's your theme park? Oh, man, I don't know. Like, I don't think I like anything enough to theme park it. So, it doesn't have to be a property. My thought was immersive adventure experience, where, like, like Westworld, but we do with people, not robots, because robots can be evil. But, like, you get dropped, like, we we outfit you into whatever and then you live on Tatooine for a week or whatever like live eat breathe all of it it's all there I'm down with that right Mikey you would totally go oh fuck just make Westworld I know I thought about that was like Westworld well the problem with Westworld is the consent stuff guys that's why the robots had to exist in that story right because Westworld's very dark I mean even as robots it's very dark I think you could do a Westworld 
no rape. You know, I'm like, that's yeah, a rule. Yeah. You can set that up at the, you can have some boundaries. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you could do Westworld, like Disneyland, where like the actors are actors, no one touches them, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Totally here for that. That'd be fun. No, I'd still want the robots that I could murder, but like it's Westworld goes too far. I think there's yes. a line we could go to. Right. But that, that's what I'm thinking of like, Hey, it's medieval times. You're a knight for a week. Like, and you actually do it. And some parts of it suck, some parts of it don't, but it's real and you do it for a week. I, I'm all in. Right. I'm in the Westworld medieval world. I mean, but like I, it does get a bit too dark, but that's why you need some park attendants in there too. But like, like, right. like you need a DM, you need like a, you need a dungeon master rules guy <laughs> of like a guy in a vest being like, well, like we assign you like a friend or, or like a guy who's with you yeah. the whole time. And they're like your partner the in the adventure and like pulling you through it. But you don't know who it is till you meet them at the local tavern and they yes! approach you and they're like, they say something key phrase that let you yes. know they're like a part of the experience but they are just your bard right. for the evening you know <laughs> and and you don't know who is like an attendee and who's like a person yes exactly yeah. like Jurassic Park Westworld went too far we're like I would love to dress up like a cowboy and pretend to be a cowboy for a week and they're like yes and then you could hire any of these sex workers I'd be like wait what like as well as the whole shooting bad guys what here here's what i'm gonna say hey maybe you can but there are people who can give consent and you can set that up ahead of time as an additional booking on your visit that's not a child's park like we we have way different things going on i didn't say it was a child's park i just said it was a theme park i want my son to shoot a guy wearing a mask who's robbing a bank okay just like God intended. Sure, great. <laughs> Squibs, fake guns. Like, this is all doable. Oh, no, I want the robots. Oh. Well, the robots could be evil, though. I'm down with robots, though. If you could make the robots definitively not evil, then sure. I think there's plenty of pop culture that suggests you can't. I mean, okay, here's my ultimate version of this. And, and you'd have to probably use, like, you know, VR or AI to do it. You get to live out your favorite movie as one of the characters. You have to say the lines, the movie proceeds as it normally would, but you are Sarah Connor or you are Ripley. Ready, Ready Player One did that. And I think that was the, my favorite concept from Ready Player One, where like yeah. you are in VR and you live out one of the roles. Love that. And you get scores based on how well you did with the movie. I, I think that's a really good concept. I don't need scores. I just want to live it out, right? I'm down with that. Yeah, same. Like I wouldn't need scores at all. Yeah, you could even expand it where it's like, Hey, we cut away in this scene, but here's what happened. The re you know, like or whatever. Yeah, I mean, so who would you be then? Like, if if you got to oh Sarah Connor, I would be first run Sarah Connor, a hundred percent. Okay, she's like, take off those pants that you stole from <laughs> a homeless man. <laughs> the smells are real. Second run, probably Ellen Ripley. I would probably go Sarah Connor, then Ripley. That's terrifying. That would be terrifying. You know, I know it can't kill me, though. I know it can't. So, like, it's like the most <laughs> extreme haunted house. That would be terrifying. <laughs> Mikey, what, what about you? Who would you be? I would be Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to murder kids. That's all you want. I'm going to be walking. I'd be like, I can taste the flowers. Oh, no, he got stuck in the chocolate shoot. Let's sing a song about he's dead. <laughs> you don't want to do, like, Indiana Jones? Yeah, Indiana Jones would be a good one. Right? Yeah. Indiana Jones would be a fucking blast. Or Ghostbusters or something, yeah. Yeah. I would 1,000% be Styles from Teen Wolf. Why? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I think I would really enjoy watching my friend who was like no more than 5'4 become a 
awesome basketball player while hulked out in a Teen Wolf uniform and driving the van while my Teen Wolf friend is surfing the top of it. Like, that seems fun as shit to me. It would just be like driving around with your drunkest, messiest friend all the time. Whatever you're doing in therapy, do twice of it. You know, because like you're twice of it. Whole hero fulfillment is I want to drive the van that Teen Wolf rides. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm over here like I want to be the mother of the future. Yeah, and I'm just over here being like, I want to show my friend who's going through some changes in his life, some radical acceptance. And that no matter how he wants to show up today, I'm going to show up for him. Wow. If only you could be a good friend in real life. <laughs> I think I'd do Princess Leia third. Oh god, I could do some Star Wars. I could, I could live out a lot of roles in Star Wars, but like old Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I could go through Temple of Doom as short round. It'd be great, Paige. I don't think you should invite the comparison. Like, that's racist, Paige. I'm also short and round. <laughs> I'm just picturing your cleaning person like vacuuming your house as you do a racist Chinese accent <laughs> on your VR headset. I think it's funny that you think I have enough money to have a cleaning person. Well, no, he thinks if you have enough money to be able to have this game that we're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you gotta live in the bit, Paige. You gotta live in the <laughs> yeah. bit. I got it. She's like, I'd live out a fantasy where I had enough money to have a VR thing going on animated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really would just be her like hanging out with like the the maid from the Jetsons behind her vacuuming. <laughs> just the robot maid. I'd live out Anakin going to the Jedi Temple. And <laughs> just kill all the young ones. <laughs> I like that we were like Star Wars and you were like prequels. Like, no. <laughs> Let's do Wrath of Khan, Mikey. We could be Kirk and Spock. Yes. Yeah. We we diverged. So back to this movie. Uh, a helicopter lands on the dig site, which will really fuck up your dig site. So they run to the trailer to be like, who the fuck landed on our dig site? And who would it be but Mr. Hammond, the guy who has also been funding their dig site? So they're kind of like financially obligated to go. Can I point something out? Yes, you're right. He uh, supports them with a grant. I don't think it's enough to fund the whole thing. It's not. Because it's like $50,000, which if you adjust for today's dollars, it's like $106,000. I looked that up. So that must be just like one of the grants that they operate under, which is very common for this kind of study. Right. But I want to point out something here because Sam Neill yells at the helicopter to turn off the helicopter blades, right? And then he runs into like their shack, right? And Hammond's already in there popping the champagne. Yes, because. How? He's rich. Because they were further up on the ridge where they were looking at the radar stuff. Right. The helicopter lands. I assume that Hammond got out of the helicopter and went to the trailer while they were still getting to the helicopter. And just scurried to the trailer while they were running down. Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so it was yeah, just yeah. like a jump in time. We never see Hammond like get out of the helicopter, though. Right, right, right. I noticed that, too. But that does make sense because they are pretty far away. Yeah, no, I noticed that as well. But there's also something in this scene that and I, I tried desperately to like Google it. I couldn't remember from the books, but he also mentions a park in Kenya that he had like worked with. And I can't remember if that's one of the other Jurassic Park sites. Cause I know there's the two islands, Isla Nublar and Isla, I think Sol Solar. Oh, I don't, I, I don't remember. I don't remember the second one, but anyway, 
he offers to fund them for three years. Yeah, fully fund them for three years. Which then influences them to come basically for the weekend. I do love this scene because he's dressed completely in white. Yeah. Like his hat is white, his pants is white, his shirt is white, his shoes are white. Colonel Sanders. That's what I was getting at. Yes, he does look like Colonel Sanders minus the blazer. But they are like covered in dirt. They're like dirty as shit because they are diggers. If you remember from what they were called earlier, right? So like they are like out there in the dirt, digging it up, brushing it off with paintbrushes, like digging things up, right? So like I thought it was very funny that he just like shows up, pops their champagne and is like, we're leaving immediately. Anyway, we cut to San Jose, Costa Rica, where Dennis Nedry is sitting there waiting to meet up with somebody uh, who we will only identify as Dotson. But Dotson wants him to basically smuggle embryos out of cold storage to him in this Barbasol shaving cream container because he, I would assume, is either A, working for the lawyers in the lawsuit and wants proof of what they're doing, or B, is a competitor. He's a competitor. He's a competitor, yeah. Yeah, in the book, it's a competitor. Because Newman from Seinfeld says that he's going to advance his company's technology by 10 years by doing this. And he's going to be paid, if he sneaks out all, I think, 15 embryos, he's going to be paid... $1.5 $1.5 million, which is almost $3.2 million today. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mikey, that company is InGen, who is the one that takes over in the second book. Oh, shit. I think. In- InGen's either his company or Hammond's company, or they buy in they buy InGen and InGen's still the name. But yes, the co- that company that he works for stays around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, we cut to the helicopter ride over to Isla Nublar, which is where we first meet Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum's character, the chaostician, or I would call him a risk analyst, is the purpose he is serving in this group. There's turbulence, but they do arrive at Isla Nublar. They drive into the fields that basically on their way to the visitor center. Yeah. And she's looking at like a plant leaf where she's like, this shouldn't be here. Like this plant is extinct. And he, Sam Neill is just like, fuck the plant. There's literal dinosaurs out here. Like, Look at these shits. Dude, I think that the way he takes his glasses off is, like, so perfect for, like, what that character is experiencing. Like, yes. Sam Neill's an amazing actor. Yeah. And she sort of does it, too, when she takes her off because she does it more frenzied than, like, hurried right. than he did. He was, like, like really awestruck. Like, when something yes. is really awesome, like, in the actual sense of what that word actually means... Like, it's so good. And, like, all of these scenes become iconic moments. Yes. And, like, everyone knows all of these scenes. It's, it's, this one, you know, is, is one of them. I do think it's a little bit ridiculous that I'm supposed to expect that Laura Dern, like, I guess while she was being driven in this admittedly open air Jeep, she just, like, reached down and grabbed a leaf and was like, hey, <laughs> like, while they were driving? I assume she did it on the dock. Okay. And before getting into the car. But it makes sense that that's what she would be looking at because that's her specialty, right? Right. My favorite cut of this is the one that circulates on TikTok all the time with the bad recorder audio. Where it's like they scramble to get their glasses off and you look and in the movie it's John Williams classics who are the like da 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 da. Yeah. But in the cut it's and it's like just off enough that they're like it's so majestic but it sounds crazy. That's why scores are important you guys. Yeah. Scores are important. Anyway. But this is where Malcolm who has been privy to what Hammond was trying to do. He knew a little bit more than Grant and Sattler. 
Uh, he's like, that crazy son of a bitch did it. And Hammond is like, wait, do you see our T-Rex? And he's like, you have a T-Rex? And then the very famous line, welcome to, to Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, they get to the main visitor center. And he's like, look, every park has fucking rides, but I've got living biological attractions. And he gets them into the little theater show that like America sings. You're like like a zoo. You're just like a zoo. Well, they're they're <laughs> at this point just like a zoo, but they are yeah. going to build rides. He literally says the rides will be operational in twelve to eighteen months. Right. Uh, they just haven't built them yet because they had to focus on the science and building the actual dinosaur pens. Right. And all that shit, which ultimately should be the most important because they have to be secure, right? Right. I guess. Right. <laughs> I do like that almost everything in this movie that they're like will that be on the ride is then in the universal studios ride yeah <laughs> like as we're going through it i was like yeah that is in the ride <laughs> good for them anyway uh they set them up in one of those little like and a lot of parks have them where it's like you're stationary or or you move you're a theater seating that kind of moves with a central core so like Disneyland has a couple different attractions or one attraction that's been a bunch of different things that's killed a bunch of people. Yeah, it's one of the most deadly attractions at Disneyland. Let's fucking talk about it. What is it? So back in the day, it was called America Sings, um, but it's also been called uh, like Imagineering or like America of the Future or whatever. And it's a revolving room. So like you can kind of like sit and watch things and then they revolve to the next thing. Sure. Some of them you can walk around. I mean, it's like this movie. Yeah, it's like this movie, but y you have to be very careful not to walk when it's moving because unfortunately you may end up dying as some people have by getting caught between the walls as they move. So like what they do in this movie though, because they yes. like stop the ride when it's moving and are like walking out of it. That's very funny. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and by this time, by the time this movie had come out, at least one person had already died that way at Disneyland. So I did. That's why he's like, you can't. Well, it's moving. I was like, yeah. Anyway, they climb out into the lab and we don't see because the lab is behind glass, but they just like get up and then are magically in the lab, which I think is pretty fun. Yeah. So it is like they just, just like get up because they have so many questions. But we have to talk right. about the DNA guy, right? Like BD Wong. This whole thing is insane. Like. The, the Dino DNA guy is like Clippy. Oh, you mean the animated one? Dino DNA. We fossilized Amber. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't mean the actor who plays the geneticist. Yeah. Yeah. I love that guy. I do too. Uh, Universal Studios had a bunch of, we saw some of it at Horror Nights and I didn't buy it and I should have. And I'll one day I'll go back. But they had like shirts with just the Dino DNA guy on it. I'd wear that. And it just says Dino DNA. And I'm like, I need one of those. That That's cool as shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> good. It's a good shirt. I just like this like personification of like, it's to me, it's like Clippy. If Clippy was for someone who was using CRISPR, which is essentially what they did to create the DNA that is like. It's like Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is like Schoolhouse Rock. It's great. I love it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like campy and silly and I'm here for it. Yeah. Conjunction, junction, eat your face now. I'm a dinosaur and I'm eating your face now. Yeah. Dino DNA. I don't remember that song going that way, but I liked the your version. Are, are you not familiar with how a bill becomes a dinosaur? <laughs> 
I'm just a bill <laughs> at Isla Nublar Hill. <laughs> Y'all see that sex tape on the Capitol? No, what, 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 what? I've, I, okay, so Mikey, I found out about that through tweets, and it was just like because I follow a lot of um, Drag Race former contestants, and one of them retweeted somebody, and it was like. Y'all ever have a top be like, I know the perfect place and then take you here. And it's like <laughs> the picture of the Senate chambers. No, what? Yeah. Oh, and he has already been that? fired because yeah. he made a sex tape in the Senate hearing chambers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it when people get messy. Oh, that's hysterical. That's great. How are you going to have sex in the Senate chambers and not get video of it, though? Like, Yes. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Because when you started that sentence and you were like, how are you going to have sex in the Senate chambers? I was like, how are you not going to have sex in the Senate chambers? Oh, no. Yeah, that's like, yeah. Just don't take video. No, you could have. He could have got away with it if he didn't videotape it. He, he would have gotten away with it like people have been getting away with it for hundreds of years. Well, how did they find the video? Did he post it? It's it's online page. Yes. Why would you put it online? That's a that's one that you keep for you for your own your secret treasures. His public statement was wild. He's like, I like to keep my private life private and like not at work. <laughs> you know what? Good for him. By posting this, to, posting this to X hamster or whatever. There's a hamster one. <laughs> I like to keep my private life private. That's why I put this on Reddit. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't leak it. I'm sure it was somebody else. But the video's out there. Like I can go watch it as soon as we're done. I guess I didn't seek it out, but I guess you can. I'm going to find it. This is reminding me of my favorite part of Jurassic Park, all the lesbian sex. What? I get it, Mikey. Yeah, because there are only ladies in the park. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because they're all ladies. It's all ladies. Yes. The vul Vulvasaurus. <laughs> Hooking up helixes and froggy DNA. Clitoris Rex. Clitoris Rex. Now you're making it sound big. I'll have you know that my labia source is a normal size. <laughs> anyway, they go to the lab where B.D. Wong, fresh off an episode of Law and Order, is like, yeah, no, uh, we just uh, cloned raptors or whatever. No big deal. Just hanging out, erasing stuff with a pencil. He's like, uh, he says it in such like a nonchalant way. He's like, what? Like Sam Neill is like, oh, my God. We have harnessed the power of creation. What animal have you created here? And B.D. Wong's like, uh, it's a fucking raptor or whatever, man. I don't know. Yeah, well. It's fucking a geneticist who made this happen. I just think it's so funny how nonchalantly he says it as Sam Neill's like about to pass out. Raptor-based defenses are especially heinous. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mikey from Horror Virgin. I practiced this ad for Factor in my car today. <laughs> Can you show us what you practiced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mikey from Horror Virgin here. <laughs> Talk about Factor. <laughs> Nailed it. I have used Factor on and off the last couple of years, uh, especially since 2020. My work is very busy. I have a very busy day job. He does. I have a very busy hobby uh -huh. slash second job called podcasting. <laughs> yeah, it's so much work for you. <laughs> Eating healthy is hard. Cooking, I'm single. <laughs> Cooking single is hard. And I've loved Factor. Other people, they ship you ingredients. You have to cook them. It takes a long time. Factor. They ship you fresh, never frozen meals. And it always only takes two minutes, which is like my favorite thing. I never have to think about how long it has to go in the microwave. It's two minutes. That's what my dating profile says. Always two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's helped me eat healthier, though. They have a bunch of like dietary options, like low calorie or protein or keto. Is it keto? Keto? 
Mikey, you said it wrong so many times. I'm not sure if I remember how to say it right. It's keto, right? Keto. No, it's keto. It's keto. But anyway, Factor's amazing. So just head to factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 and use code horrorvirgin50 to get how much percentage off, Mikey? Were you paying attention? 50. Damn. 50% off. Literally half off. That's code horrorvirgin50 at factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 to get 50% off. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So in the start of this movie, there's a ton of Jurassic Park employees. But in the background of all of this happening, you're here like, get to the boat by 630 because yep. yeah. everyone's leaving for some because of the storm. Or or they leave at the end of the day because I don't know if you noticed, there's no like hotels on Isla Nublar. Yeah, there were in the books. There was like staff quarters and stuff. There were in the books. In the books, there were was like quarters. But in this movie, we don't see any. But I think that was probably just one extra thing that they were just like, nah, you know, we're not going to go into it. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you bred fucking raptors. But this is where they introduce the idea that they're all they're all female, so they can't breed in the wild. And Jeff Goldblum is like, <laughs> Um, well, uh, uh, life uh, finds a way. Uh, the very famous there it is. gold blooming. There, there it is uh, from this movie. I love him in this movie, though, because it, it is like. I mean, it's one of his best. Yeah. He, this guy is over the top blooming and I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that in almost every movie since this, except for the league, he's basically just playing Malcolm again. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, and I think that that may be just because Malcolm is just Jeff Goldblum. Potentially. If Jeff Goldblum was in those situations. I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen him on like talk shows and stuff, and he sort of seems like that guy. I've met him in real life. He is basically that guy. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Uh, he talked about a fork for like two whole minutes. I would be riveted i stood there the whole time i was just like this is happening <laughs> anyway <laughs> they go to the raptor enclosure because they're immediately like you fucking bred raptors and they're like yeah we got adult ones too. check it out we fed them a cow and they're just like shredding that cow but they also this is where they reveal that they're smart and they test the fence for weak spots and they remember well that's why they had to put him in that like holding cell for lack of a better term yeah because they were attacking the fences and never the same place twice because of course all the fences are electrocuted, so they would attack a different spot. And they establish that there's one lead yeah. female raptor that's like the head of the pack. She's the head raptor, raptor in charge. Yeah, head raptor in charge. She literally killed, I think, four other raptors. Yes. there were six total when she came in, right? And then she killed four the other ones and only two remained that like definitely bowed down to her authority you know what i'm saying women in the workplace am i right todd oh, boo. <laughs> it's a real raptor fight in here mikey she definitely flotsams and jetsams them around like they do her bidding she like sends them out they are her flotsam and jetsam you, you might say yeah 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 I, I think they did this in the second one where they start to establish that, that there's like a team of like six of them at that point that coordinate and hunt. Nice. And then once you get into the really, really shitty Jurassic World movies, 
that's the one with Chris Pratt with the like dinosaur stop stop yeah where he's like <laughs> controlling them with asl i was like this is dumb i don't like this yeah it was it was real dumb i was just like man are they scary or not like well because then they be then the raptors become like the good guys because right. then he he becomes he like hunts with them like he tarzaned with the raptors like it's just real weird i do think that that sort of plays on what hammond talks about as we're birthing the raptor in the scene we're in though because uh, Hammond has said that he has been present at the birth of every dinosaur on Jurassic Park because they imprint upon their first, right. like, contacted thing, right? Right. And he wants them to imprint upon him, which I thought would come back in, like, a like a raptor maybe cornering Hammond and not killing him. No, it just never comes back. But Because like, that would be cool, but it never comes back. It, it feeds more into the idea of... Because this is a movie of man versus nature much the way that nope is where people who do not respect and and give space to the danger and majesty of nature are doomed to be hurt by it right sure so he's thinking that he is the master of nature and that he is forcing them to imprint that's not the case at all they are still wild animals and will continue to be wild animals and life will find a way because he did not understand or respect the thing that he was playing God with. Yeah. Much like Jupiter's claim in Nope. You're welcome. Yeah. Anyway, I do like that the the main raptor guy here is like, we should kill them all. Like right now. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, they're lethal. They're too smart. He, he hates them from Jump Street and was right to because they kill him later. Well, yeah. And, and he he in a weird way respects their power like and therefore fears them because he should. I agree. And I think he's like, shit, I knew better, but I'm dead now. And he's like, fuck, you got the better of me. He's almost like in his like last moment. He's like, fuck, clever girl, like son of a bitch. Like yeah. he like does show them, I think, the proper respect. Yes. Yeah. I think he was probably like, we should kill all the raptors. And they're like, don't do that. Yeah. And he was like, one of these days I'm going to sneak in with a gun and kill all the raptors. Yeah. And it was just like he didn't get the chance. It was like two days later, it would have all been dead. Would have all been taken care of. He was more of a badass in the books because he had like yeah. a grenade launcher or some crazy oh, shit and like killed yeah. some He killed some raptors. Yeah. He was <laughs> yeah. he was like an extreme hunter. It is not Raptors One Guy Zero in the book. It's like Raptors five guy three. <laughs> nice. So he kills some in the book. Yeah, he goes down swinging. Yeah, he went down swinging. I think it's been a while since I read it. Hell yeah. I know. I I was as I was watching this, I was like, should I reread the book? And I was like, I gotta finish Sphere first. <laughs> anyway, they go, they sit down to eat Chilean sea, sea bass. They spared no expense. I do love. Can we talk about this boardroom though? Because I love it. Yes, it is like they're at almost a circular table, but the walls are black behind them. And it's like they're being projected just like pictures of the park and like various marketing materials. Yep. And I was like, this looks like you're trying to brainwash a boardroom full of people. <laughs> yeah, you love the dinosaurs. I know. It, it's it's so great. They're not dangerous at all. Yeah. And I think at this point, the lawyer who, if memory serves, because there's more characters in the book, I want to say that, that they've kind of blended him in an accountant or something. Because he suddenly is just like, think of the money. <laughs> think of the money. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he, when he sees the dinosaur the first time, is like, holy shit. I think he even says, we're going to make a ton of money. I mean, yeah. and they 
had they nailed the safety stuff and never had any issues, they would have made a ton of money, you know? They would have. And he's the only one that's on board. Everyone else is like, this is wildly dangerous. And you bred fucking raptors. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you do that? I do think this is like the scene where Goldblum is setting up the whole, you know, like life finds a way thing. Yeah. But he is essentially arguing ethics with someone who is like, a capitalist by nature well and an extreme unethical capitalist like the the worst version yeah i said capitalist by nature like that guy is like hyper not concerned with ethics that's like talking religion to an atheist like right they just are not interested in what you're saying i'm not saying that malcolm is like in the wrong here <laughs> no 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 no. Like, malcolm's in the right malcolm's in the right yeah he just like he's aggressively wasting his time you know that's all i'm saying right and 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 the ethics he is arguing is basically like you didn't respect the process you don't know enough to ensure that people will be safe you cannot guarantee people will be safe these are wild animals yeah that you don't understand that none of us could fully understand because we didn't live with them we don't have existing data we're kind of flying blind here and everyone kind of around the table basically with the exception of the lawyer says the same thing of like we have no way to know if this could be safe yeah and this is uncharted territory and that means it's very dangerous i mean i do think that there is an easy way to make it way safer and that's mikey's idea of herbivores only please but still like dinosaurs like elephants kill people occasionally either you know through like yeah hippos kill people all the time yeah like it happens right so like whatever but like that would be way less than like if a raptor got loose right 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 <laughs> a hippo probably unless you are aggressive towards it is going to leave you alone i assume i don't know hippos Hippos kind of fuck around. Like, I, I, I'm scared of hippos, really. But, like, elephants I'm not super scared of. I would just leave them alone. Yeah, hippos kill more people than sharks every year. Yeah, hippos are crazy. Yeah. yeah, hippos will fuck you up, man. Yeah, sharks, stop being so fucking lazy. Or gators. Like, our closest analog is gators, you know? And we know a lot about gators, and gators still kill people every year. We play golf feet from their homes. Yeah. Yeah, people are going to die every year because they're dumb. Yeah. I don't think a lot of golfers die. I think people, like, in lakes die. Yeah, it's people in lakes and kids that get too close or, or pets that are too close. Yeah, pets is a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> I would say kids is the worst one. Kid, yes. No, kids is obviously the worst one. Yeah. I would say kid. Yeah, kids is obviously the worst one. Although I think it happens. I, I mean, I think it happens more than adults, but a lot less than pets. Because you know, people try to keep their kids away. I think pets is the majority. Yeah, but still, occasionally kids or old ladies. Oof. We said pets. <laughs> Just imagine the T Rex paddock, and then like an old grandma comes up, chained to that. <laughs> Why is the goat gone? <laughs> Why is grandma gone? <laughs> she was the goat. She's just sitting there like, what? <laughs> I can't. It's dark out here. Can you turn the light on? I'm knitting over here. Yeah. When is Matlock on? And like, Shh. Do you feel a rumble? It's cold. Shh. Grandma, stay perfectly still. <laughs> Terrible. I got my new park watching grandparents be eaten by dinosaurs. No, in the park. terrible. That is awful. <laughs> But what if it was a Hunger Games scenario and they had to compete? <laughs> that would be so boring. That would be the worst Hunger Games. <laughs> no, no. Well, it would be hilarious for like 10 minutes. Oh, no. <sighs> 
Peter slipped and fell and died. And now the winner is on the other side of the island without any conflict at all. Someone else. Well, no, I just, because n- none of them would be well equipped. So for like 10 minutes, it would be hilarious where you're just like, Who's going to get a walker to the head? Like, let's, let's, how's it going to So this is just like the Golden Bachelor, but for Hunger Games. It's the Golden oh. Hunger Games. <laughs> yes, I'm here for that. As long as I get to be the announcer guy at the Golden Hunger Games. Stanley Tucci's character. At the end of the night, they all get a dinner supplied by Meals on Wheels. The cart comes around the arena and feeds them. At 3 p.m. <laughs> yeah, we said dinner, di- Paige. Anyway, <laughs> they get in the Jeeps. And this there's a whole thing of, like, the kids really want to ride with Dr. Grant, in part because Timmy has read all of Dr. Grant's books. Timmy! Yeah, he Timmy! loves Dr. Grant. Like, is obsessed. And Dr. Grant, I don't know if you remember really fucking hates kids and laura dern his i think long-term at least girlfriend yes is like hey tell him the kids to go in there wherever he goes they go she's like aggressively trying to get him okay with kids right but ultimately malcolm sadler and grant end up in one car the lawyer and the kids end up in the other car the lawyer and the kids are in the first car the other adults are in the second car yeah we then get our first peek into the control room and how they're controlling both the tour and everything in the park. So we meet Samuel L. Jackson, Mr. Arnold, just consummate badass this entire movie. He's awesome. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. Love that line. But then we also meet Newman. Well, we met Newman already. We kind of met him already. We see Newman at work, and surprisingly, he's aggressively the same asshole he was in his first scene. Yes. And I sort of love that for this actor. Like, he sort of like found a lane and made money yes. in that lane. And I was here for it. He he shows up. He also does like small projects and stuff sometimes too. So every once in a while you'll be watching something. You're like, he's in this. <laughs> and it's pretty great. I mean, he's say what you will. He's a great actor. Like he yeah. crushes what he's doing in this movie. Never let me down. Never let me down once. Yeah. His name is Wayne Knight. Yeah, Wayne Knight. Yeah. He, he famous. Yeah, he's famous, famous. Like, was in Dirty Dancing and still acting now famous. Oh, Dirty Dancing. Isn't he one of the other dads? We got to eventually do Dirty Dancing on Romancing the Pod. There's a lot of troubling things in that film. <laughs> yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. But also great dancing. But I, all I mean to say is that guy's been acting since the mid 80s. Yes. Anyway, we see him at work. And he he is playing the part of the tech guy who's not actually good at his job and is never fixing anything, but gets around it by telling everyone that they don't understand. Yeah, he's like the IT guy at the, at the park. Yeah. Not really helping the stereotype that like everyone who's in computers at this time was a large, sweaty asshole of an individual. I mean, they're not always large and sweaty. Yeah, but they... <laughs> well, and they're not always bad. I've had really... I've had both ends of the spectrum. My The current IT people at my job now are phenomenal. They're great. They're like, uh, the electric fence is down. Uh, can you just go back online and open a support ticket, okay? Yo, God. <laughs> the Raptors are eating people. Yeah, you're going to have to call back to tier three support. <laughs> you're going to have to email IT at support ticket dot whatever. Yeah, 100%. Do you mind if I take over control of your computer? <laughs> Our current team at work is on site most of the time. So even though you submit a support ticket within seconds, they're like slacking you like, hey, do this, 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 or just like bring me your computer and I'll give you a new one or whatever. So they're great. But in the past, I have when I worked at Sur Tab, our system was so outdated 
and here's the thing. I'm good at computers. I'm not great at computers. Like I'm good enough to work at a tech company right now, but like I don't work in engineering. But Paige, I understand what you're saying. Like your system was so old when you called tech support. It was like a woman in the workplace. <laughs> yes. Like yes. it was that old. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, just the least <laughs> helpful. That's who Dennis Nedry is. Yeah. My favorite on the IT crowd, which I know Graham Linehan, terrible. I, I understand. Don't like it either. It's heartbreaking because, man, heartbreaking. I love that show. I know. Uh, but when they rest a cup on his back, that's one of my favorites where he's like yeah. under the desk fixing something and somebody rests a cup on his back and it just leaves a ring on his shirt. Too funny. Anyway. Yeah. So he's not helpful and he's protecting his own job with incompetence, I would say. Yeah. I would say he's deliberately sabotaging the park so that he can steal 15 uh, embryos and then bounce out and work at Next Gen or whatever the name Engine. of the company was. Engine. Yeah. But even even apart from that, I think he has made it so he's the only one that can fix things as a means of job security and not in a beneficial way. I mean, and this is at a time where like there were, I, well, I, so I sort of think Samuel L. Jackson is in the same department as Newman from Seinfeld. Sure. But he does talk about like the, the, co the code for the company is like 2 million lines long and you could have hidden this like Trojan horse software that he's using to like be able to pull off the heist Anywhere within those two million lines. Yeah. So it would take Samuel L. Jackson's character, who seems to be the only other IT guy employed at this company. It seems that that would take him a fucking era to get through, you know? Right, right, right. Taylor Swift would have a new album out by the time he got done with it. What? So like two weeks? <laughs> that depends on how uh, how soon her and her new boyfriend break up. Yeah, right? <laughs> she's never more creative than when she's not getting dicked down. That's all I'm saying. So you're thinking like March? You mean like right after the Super Bowl? <laughs> Taylor's version, Jurassic Park. All the all the dinosaurs are in those white cable knit cardigan sweaters with the bracelets. They're like, rawr. <laughs> rawr. <laughs> anyway, so we intercut between the control room and their tour. So they first have the Dilophosaurus, but they don't see anything. Then the headlights are going out. Dennis can't fix it. Yeah, this tour sucks from Jump Street. Well, that's not true. Because they do go through the iconic gate. Yes. Like the Welcome to Jurassic Park gate. And I do love that, like, there is no fence connected to it. Yeah. They could have just, like, walked around it and they had trouble. It's a park. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought it was so funny. But, like, literally after the gate, everything goes to shit. Like, nothing works. Okay, but... Dennis's escape is what got me. We're like, this is a terrible part because I was like, why is the East Dock on the same trail as the regular adventure park? Like, right. the staff's support stuff should all be behind the scenes. Yes. Agreed. So I think it is, Mikey. I think that's why he's taking the fences down and he's going a back way, but he ends up on the wrong track. He's just bad at what he's doing. Yeah, yeah I yeah, think yeah. he's just terrible. And also they should have like a tram. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think the gates are actually connected to walls that look like foliage the way Disneyland stuff is? Where Ooh. it's like, it doesn't look like there's a wall there, but then you go up and it, you're like, oh, it's plywood that's painted. That would be awesome. But what he should be doing if he wasn't a big fucking dummy is doing this thing where he's compiling the code, right? Right. And that causes some systems to shut down. He like sets up the heist premise, I think, perfectly. Right. His mistake is... Not getting on the boat and leaving with everyone else with just like his stuff and a can of Barbasol would be something you would bring if you were like, hey, I'm working on the island this week, you know, 
So like, just leave with everybody. Well, that's I think that's what he's trying to do. Well, and that's the thing. He really only needed to take the security cameras and doors down to get to the embryos and then get on the boat with everybody else. Todd is correct. Yeah, that's true. But he would have had to do it earlier and they would have noticed. Because I think that's the thing is he's trying to do it unnoticed. Well, they're going to notice tomorrow. I mean, like, he's not covering his tracks. No, no, no. I mean, like, he's not covering, like, fully. But I think he was worried that during the day when people are accessing the embryos, he would have been caught. So he had to, like, wait for people to get on the boats and leave. But, I mean, people are leaving right now. Because he's just handing the boat driver the the shaving cream, right? And going back, right? Well, but here's the question. Which boat driver? Because there are two docks. So there's an east dock and a west dock. And there's, I I think one of them is people, one of them is cargo. And I think East is cargo. And I think he's trying to get it to the cargo guy, not the people guy. I would just have one big dock. I'm a big dock kind of guy. You do have a lot of big dock energy. You're right. Mm -hmm. Or at least thick dock energy. Yeah. You're only thinking that because he doesn't have a real neck. (laughs) Yeah. All shoulders, no neck. Like Gears of War. (laughs) Sure. So the the tour sucks. They're not seeing anything. They put the goat out. The T-Rex doesn't come out. But as the tour is going, Sam Neill just jumps out of the car because he sees a Triceratops like laying down in the field with a vet working on it. Yeah. And this is where uh, Laura Dern stops to be like, is, is it okay? I need to like stick my hands in poop. Uh, I got to see what's going on. <laughs> but that's when we get the, the iconic line from Jeff Goldblum. That's one big pile of shit. That's one big pile of shit. Love it. Now- Something that I knew and I think I knew from the books that they don't really bring back around in the movie is what is happening to that Triceratops. Because in the book you find out. They sort of posit that it's like eating something that's making it sick, but they don't really get into it in the movie. They just like yada, yada, yada past it because so much other shit is already happening. Of course, you wouldn't focus on that in the moment. But you should because it's very important. So there's they don't find any of the stuff in her poop, right? So as, as Sadler stands up, she just goes, weird. There's nothing in the poop. But every six weeks and she walks away and it's because she's pregnant. Like the dinosaurs are are laying eggs. It's their ovulation cycle. That's why she's laying down and not feeling great. But the vet doesn't realize it because they assume no one can get pregnant. But so in the book, this is when they start to discover that dinosaurs can have eggs and it just they haven't put the pieces together yet. But the movie doesn't exactly connect those things. It doesn't because it just like. Let's not even focus on the fact that that was sick. Like, there's so much else going on. Which I get in the movie why you do that, you know? Yeah. Well, in the movie, this serves to put her in a different vehicle. Yes. So she's not trapped with them. To separate her and Sam Neill so that he can go on this adventure with the children and learn that he wants to be a dad. That is essentially what's happening in this movie for him. Yeah, and so that there's someone who can go and save them, that knows them. That, yeah. Yeah, they are the cats that he has to save, making him the hero. No, but also, I mean, like, she is a, a set piece that will then save Malcolm. So, like, they have to have someone on the outside that's willing to go back that has a car. This is the only other car. Yeah. So it's like, it's literally a functional, logical thing of, like, yeah. we gotta pull her or else he dies. So that's how the T-Rex thing works. So... That's what's happening with the the Triceratops. Meanwhile, the they tell everyone else to get back to the cars because the storm is going to wash the dock out. And ideally, they were all supposed to leave on the boats. Yeah. Uh, they do not make it back in time, obviously. And the people in the control room stay because they're still out there. Yeah. But this is when uh, Dennis Nedry gets the em- embryos and goes out. At that point, they're essentially alone on the island, though, right? Like, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is very important when Dennis says, like, 
you can run this thing alone for three days with a skeleton crew because that's essentially what will happen uh, in the movie. Well, I, I think once they are able to run it for three days on a skeleton crew, meaning they have power back and the fences are right, back right, online, right. the only thing they do is call for evac and get oh, the fuck yeah. out of there. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah, this is also where Dennis is like, hey, I'm debugging the phone, so like it's going to run a script, so some things might go down, but they'll come back. Yeah, this is back when you had to like compile code and it would like literally have to take sections offline in order to compile that part of the code. Right. And I do like that it's it's using the same web interface as Mission Impossible, the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a big interface in 95. This came out. This movie came out in 93. It was 30 years ago. Yeah. This movie's 30 years old Damn, this year. Oh, OK. But... I was eight. OK. That makes some more sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But also, I'm pretty sure this one and the, the Mission Impossible one are fake, but it's like a very similar design that gets reused. Oh, I'm sure just some graphics company in Hollywood was peddling yes. that at the time and they bought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Say, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Generic email. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so he goes to the airlock, he gets the embryos, he gets in the car, he he takes the gates down, he goes through. Essentially, he fucking crushes his plan, except the driving. Right. Like, he doesn't plan the route. Like, I thought it was insane that he planned all of this meticulously and then fucks it up like that. So he does, because he to tells them that he's done a run of it in 18 minutes. So he's driven the route before. Yeah. But the route requires him to go through multiple paddock gates, not on the tour route. Yeah. And it requires him to follow signs to the east dock, basically the back way, but he hits that sign. Yeah, because of the storm. And now he doesn't know which way to go because of the storm. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, Samuel L. Jackson notices that the power's going down and some of the fences are going down. They're like, where the hell is, is Dennis? Like, what's happening? Meanwhile, our Jeeps are stopped in front of the T-Rex enclosure. The East Dock sign is down. Dennis is lost. The power is out. So now the T-Rex can get out. Yeah. And does. And does. While they're stopped there, the kids find the night vision goggles. The goat is gone. This is the first jump scare, I would say, of the movie that fucking oh, yeah. lit me up as a kid where that leg just yeah. like slaps onto the windshield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. Fucking scary. But the T-Rex comes out. And of course, Grant... And Malcolm, no, because Grant is in the car. If they stay still, the T-Rex won't kill you, which turns out to like not be true. I think they've disproven that. I don't. I mean, how do you disprove that with skeletons or, or prove it? I don't think you can. I'm going to look this up. That's one of those things where I'm like, OK, I mean, I whatever. I'm never going to like put in the time to do the research. So I'm going to let the people who study it tell me. They're also supposed to have feathers i think now right yeah mm -hmm. well the, his whole thing about birds yeah because they i think that they sort of do talk about how they sort of evolve into birds yeah in this movie even you know because sam neil's character is pointing that out at the beginning but i think the theory is now that dinosaurs were covered in feathers i think yeah feather yeah it, feathers but also they couldn't run like they they basically just relied on size because of their weight uh, so anytime the T-Rex chases them, that's also impossible, too. 
Let's see. Wait, a T-Rex couldn't run? Yes, based on the way that its bones are structured. It it like it couldn't run fast. It could walk. Oh, I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it couldn't run 30 miles an hour or whatever they were doing in that Jeep. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Which is exactly kind of what they do. I was like, did it just like slug across the ground? But no, it, it walked. That that makes sense. Right. In my mind, a T-Rex was just like a big fucking mean chicken. Like without a beak. Like how do we know, man? So According to this cracked article that I googled, uh, T-Rex has had really good vision and fantastic field of view, kind of like a modern day eagle. And eagles are actually known for having really good eyes. Oh, very good eyes. And the structure of their skull suggests that they they were very similar to eagles in their hearing and sight uh, and sense of smell. So that if they missed you standing in front of them, they probably still smell you and eat you anyway. Yeah. So it is wild to think that that T-Rex has no sensory perception outside of movement, but that's the way it's positioned, which means that T-Rex would be walking into every tree in its path. Right. Well, and and it is something that people believed about T-Rexes, I think, in the past and then has since been disproven. Yeah. I think it was very, I think that was the prevalence theory of the time this movie came out. Now, I still think like this movie works because it's like the light attracts it and movement and light attract animals, right? So you could throw the flare and it would chase the flare or whatever. Well, and a lot of predators don't have great eyesight. Like cats don't have great eyesight, even big cats where they rely on kind of other senses, but they are still predatory animals. So I think that's kind of like where maybe some of that's coming from. Like with a cat, they have okay eyesight, but they're much more like attracted to things that move or light up or make noise or things like that. Because if something's not moving or if it's moving very slowly, they don't really catch it. Yeah. So I think maybe that's kind of where they're coming from. Yeah, could be. But- The goat's gone. Bloody goat leg. The lawyer just gets out of the car and runs. And I just remember as a kid when she just goes, he left us. He left us. And I'm just being like, oh, my God, what would you even do? Like, the the adult is gone. (laughs) Like, what's happening? I love when Jeff Goldblum's like, well, when you got to go, you got to go. Like, you got to go. Because they don't see the T-Rex yet. Yeah, it's crazy. But literally seconds later, the T-Rex comes through the fences and roars, which also I think they didn't really roar. That's something that's just in the movie, if memory serves. I love it, though. It is an iconic shot. And scene, yeah. it is very like, oh my God, like, yeah. I remember being very scared at this moment when I first saw it. I feel like you could explain a lot of this away by being like, well, they were playing with the DNA, so what we have is not real dinosaurs. Oh, we have yeah. whatever they created. Absolutely. You could say they don't have feathers because they use frog DNA to piece them back together, and that got rid of the feather part. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm not mad at the movie for not nailing what dinosaurs actually were. I don't give a shit. Right. Like, it still works great. Yeah. Yeah. Lex finds a light in the back of the the SUV and turns it on, which then, of course, attracts... Yeah, like a big flashlight. Yeah, attracts the T-Rex. So the T-Rex goes after their Jeep and kind of nudges it and eventually rolls the Jeep with them... Or, well, before rolling the Jeep, tries to come through the, the like, sunroof yeah. of the Jeep. And they're, like, pressing that glass up against... Fucking terrifying. It's so scary. Like, they're literally holding the glass off of them. And, the like, yes. the dinosaur's face is, like on the glass trying to eat them it's so scary yeah i mean i think this is my favorite scene of the film i think this is an icon like this is 
Jurassic Park. This is also an hour into the movie, by the way. Yeah. An hour into this movie. Well, they do so much to set up the science behind it. Yeah. The world world building. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I like that in this. Yeah. Because it builds a really cool world. And I, I feel like because it does that work early on, it earns a lot of moments like this one. And I love this moment. The suspense. Yes. The sound design. All of the, it. The direction. All of it. It's just perfect. This this is a perfect scene. I also think that in that world building, they took opportunity to alert us to danger. Mm-hmm. So like with all the things with the raptors, like I can't believe you bred raptors. I can't believe you bred the T-Rex. They're smarter than we think. We don't know. Like this could go wrong. Yeah. All of that is building to that fear. And then when this happens, you're like, this is the worst that could happen. And then it just gets worse from here. So like it, it is earned and it is well done. And it even though we're dealing with dinosaurs, it exists in real life fear. So like, Yes, the dinosaur does eat the lawyer. Great. Love it. And knock a building down on Malcolm. Like one of the scariest parts is like those kids are about to be crushed by that car. Yes. So like it flips the Jeep and it's not that the T-Rex is going to kill them by like eating them or attacking them. It's that the T-Rex doesn't know what a fucking car is. And those kids are about to be crushed to death by the car that was protecting them. The shot of the mud seeping into what was the hood of, or the, like the roof of the car. Yes. Because it's now turned over and they're getting squished into the mud. Like it is scary. Oh yeah. Because that's a heavy ass T-Rex crushing that car. Yeah. And and like moments later, those kids are toast. Yeah. And, and like instant, like pop by blood balloon. What's it like, Todd? When you saw that foot come down into the mud and it looked just like your foot. I honestly thought it was about time that like us claw footed folk got representation in film. And Mm -hmm, I honestly, mm -hmm. it was, it's, it's, it was great. Yeah. I think I've never seen Dumplin', but I feel like I have similar feelings about this shot that Paige might in Dumplin'. Of course. That is a of course. wild shot at Paige who did not do this insult, but I'm here for that. I didn't, but it's not inaccurate. Uh, oh, but wow. Here's, I, I feel like that foot shot is almost as iconic as the kitchen. Same. Because in that moment, it gives you a true sense of scale of just like this foot is almost the size of a car. Mm-hmm. And like as tiny people, what hope do you have? How do you, you can't kill it, you can't hurt it, you just have to get away from it. And it's that ever-present terror of just like, it is massive, it is basically Godzilla. It is, yeah, except this Godzilla aggressively wants to eat you. Yeah, and there's no Tokyo, it's just you. Yeah. Just you, UV Godzilla, good luck, stand still. I bet Mikey's like, I could take it. I could take Godzilla. I mean, if Matthew, if Matthew Broderick could take it, I definitely could take it. I mean, if I had enough time. Especially Space Godzilla. That's one of the worst Godzilla movies. I don't want to talk about that. I think it is the worst. Except that that movie has the best joke about French people I've ever seen. When, um, what's that guy's name? Who's the who's the professional? Jean, Jean Reno. Jean Reno. He's like, when I chew gum, I look American. And he just starts chewing gum and he does, in fact, look American. He's like, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's accurate. <laughs> that's the only thing I remember about that movie. I was like, that's so funny. I thought you meant like a joke about French people. Well, if they're not chewing gum, they don't look American. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's more of a joke on America <laughs> from a Frenchman. 
That's fair. No, it's like their tight mouth where they're like really like just angry, you know, like French people are. You know, the French have really tight mouths, right, Mikey? It's on smoking all those cigarettes and sucking on those baguettes. (laughs) Crystal and her husband, who is French, were were here for uh, like a week and some change just a couple days ago. And I would say that even if I did not know her husband was French, I could spot him as French. (laughs) I can be like, that's a French dude. He's like, that dude's got a real tight mouth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude looks like he knows a good pastry. (laughs) (laughs) They have that like, resting judging you look face oh my god when when they were here we were talking about this youtube videos where it's karen's versus french waiters and i was like oh french waiters every time yeah french a french waiter is the cruelest person on earth like i as a roast battler would never battle a french waiter they're so unbelievably cruel it's insane (laughs) (laughs) i've never been to france I, i don't even know if it's true but that stereotype makes me only want to go to paris Only want to be there for like two days. It's worse in Paris. And then leave. I know it's worse in Paris, Paige, but I want to see the sites that are in Paris. It's required viewing. You have to go because you have to see Paris. You have to see France. Right. You have to do that to see people's underpants. I wish I had seen that coming. I hate that I did not see that coming. (laughs) How did you not see that coming? (laughs) I hate for one second that I was like, oh, yeah, Mikey is also a fellow world traveler, not, oh, yeah, Mikey makes fun of me anytime I travel internationally. By the way, I'm going to Wales in April. Nice. But also, Todd, Mikey's not a world traveler. Mikey's barely been out of the South. I know. That's what I'm saying. No, man, I've gone everywhere in the Caribbean. So you've been where this movie was filmed then? No, this was filmed in Hawaii. Oh, that's true. Well, this movie takes place though. Yeah, I like I like beaches. Yeah. If I wanted people to be rude to me, I would just stay in America. I know, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, so the car is sinking. The kids are dying. Grant grabs a flare. Ian does too. Yeah. But he doesn't remember to freeze because Grant like waves the flare and throws it to try and distract the T-Rex. But then Malcolm runs with the flare, which is how the T-Rex knocks down the bathroom, eats the lawyer, and hurts Malcolm. He does throw the flare, though. It's not like he, like, aggressively was trying to get the lawyer killed. Yeah. He throws it, but his mistake is that he keeps running. He doesn't freeze like Dr. Grant freezed, right? Right. I mean, Dr. Grant didn't really move other than just waving his arm and then throwing it, right? Right. Hard narcissist was like... How can I make this about me? Yeah. Definitely did and got someone killed in the process, Mikey. Yes. <laughs> and we're just like aggressively not supposed to care because the one character who's worried about worker and, you know, attendee safety gets murdered. Except that he's not, though. He he flips sides where he's like, who gives a fuck? That is true. You're right. Yeah, he's right. Uh, He's like, uh, they gave me equity, so... Uh, fuck all them patrons uh, Let's make some money <laughs> But basically at this point We cut back to the control room Without Dennis they can't get things online Cut to Dennis driving and crashing down Like a tiny waterfall Yeah, And he's going to try and winch his car down this waterfall To get back on the track But who should show up but the Dilophosaurus Who just I love kind of follows him Like a cute cat Yeah, And then just immediately like Pope cowls and like I spit. Pope cowls. I that's my favorite meme ever when the Pope's collar was out and they're like poison spit. It is very funny. And I I I immediately saw the image when you said it. So yeah, I get it. I loved it. But I do like that he's like having this conversation with what he I think is like looking at as like a dog. Right. And he's like, I don't have food. I can't feed you. When the Dolphinosaurus is like, um, 
bro, you are food. Like you are food. You're my food. You is food. I am playing with my food at this point. And he like picks up a stick and tries to throw the stick to get him to play with it. And then being offended, it spits its poison in his face and then follows him, gets in the car and eats him in the car. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Tyrannosaurus has rolled that one Jeep. The kids are under it. They managed to get the girl out, but the Tyrannosaurus has knocked the Jeep over the enclosure how did it get how did it lift the car up onto the lip of the enclosure that's what i want to know i think it like nosed it yeah sure sure but also didn't the goat rise up out of the ground a second ago where we could see it and then now it's like a like a deep drop which side because there are two sides. Are there two sides? I thought yes. it was only one side. It looks like it's only one side. No, there's the there's the track, there's the fence, and then there's a dip. But also, like, unless there's a dip on this side, the goat, he wouldn't have been able to get the goat. That's all I'm saying. Thank you, Mikey. That That's true, because how could he get to the other side? Yeah. Unless there's more than one. <gasps> I think there was in the books. There, there were two in the books, yeah, I think. Anyway... So they go down this incline and they kind of repel on the cables that used to be the fence as the Jeep falls into the tree behind them. Dude, it's tense, though, because like Lex, the girl is like hanging on to Sam Neill and he's like rocking back and forth and like barely moves out of the way when the truck like goes right past his leg. Like it is such a cool moment. It's so good. It's it's rough, but they they get to the ground And now they have to try and get up into the tree to find Timmy. And they do get up there, and he's okay, but he did throw up. Poor kid. This dude, this kid gets almost crushed like 45 fucking times in this movie. And electrocuted and almost raptored to death. Dude, Timmy (laughs) is like, I understand why he sounds the way he does on South Park now. That's all I'm saying. Oh, for sure. He's been through a lot. He's been through a ton. But the Jeep almost falls out of the tree and hits them. They dodge it. And they kind of, this is where they kind of make their way towards that other large banyan tree that they kind of climb up and sleep for the night. But them, Sam Neill and Timmy getting out of the tree is like this whole set piece where this car is like chasing them down. Yes. And then they get all the way down to the ground. The car then hits the ground and then they fall. The car falls on top of them, but they're back in like the passenger area. And Timmy's like, well, we're back in the car again. Yeah. And I laughed out loud again today when he said it. I was like, that kid delivered that line perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. Meanwhile, up on the track, Sadler and the the guy who shoots the Raptors arrive in the Jeep. They find Malcolm, although they also find pieces of the lawyer. Yeah. Uh, they help Malcolm into the Jeep, but they realize that there's not another Jeep there and see that it's crashed over the incline. So they go to check down there and they see footprints. Yeah, they actually climb down. Like, we don't see them, but we see Laura Dern down there and she sees the footprints, right? Yeah. Like the kids' footprints. Right. And she's like, yes, everything's going accordingly to plan. Because she planned this so he would fall in love with the idea of him being a dad. Right. (laughs) Meanwhile, he climbs the tree with the kids. They fall asleep. He drops his raptor claw, which is symbolic for him dropping some of his guards against having children. Yes, it is. Because that is the thing he used to accost a child earlier in the movie. It could also be simplistic of him, like, dropping... Liking dinosaurs as much as he did 12 hours ago. Honestly, that is true. He's like, you know what? Fuck dinosaurs. I need a career change. (laughs) But meanwhile, the T-Rex comes back and chases that Jeep as they drive back to the visitor center cutting their search short. I love when Malcolm's in the back of that, that Jeep because he clearly like hurt his leg. I don't think they super go into it, but like he can't move 
fast, right? Mm. So like he sees them running back, but he hears the you know he sees the puddle, the, that's the right. water ripples. The impact tremors or whatever. And so Ooh. he's like, Come on, let's go. We gotta go. Get in the van. Let's go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Yeah. I also think the like that those impact tremors, like that gets spoofed in a million movies after this. Oh, but yeah. I do think it's it's such a great indicator of like the enormity of the threat before and it's very simple and i just think it's it's done really really well i know how they did the one in the car the first one you see that's in the glass of water where that cup is sitting there's a guitar string right under it and they're they, they're plucking it and that's what's making it make that that ripple i thought it was so cool yeah it's it's amazing and i i think the way they did it for the ground one is the guitar string is i think on top of the ground so they're hitting the ground next to it i don't know which is why it kind of comes in from the sides yeah anyway it's cool though man it they, it, it really does look like what they're trying to make it look like you know yeah well and so this is also where we get the famous shirtless jeff goldblum reclining in the in the jeep yeah and this is like post thickums era goldblum but he's still looking good he's still kind of thickums yeah but they get back to the visitor center where Hammond is eating all of the ice cream that is now melting because the electricity is out. He's an emotional eater, Paige. I I read it as he's so cheap he doesn't want it to go to waste because he says it'll all melt. I mean, that's that's probably what it is, yeah. Yeah. Because they, quote, spared no expense or whatever. No expense. I'm going to come down on emotional eating. He feels powerless, so he just eats ice cream. That's fair. I mean, haven't we all? That's what I do. You're not the only person. A lot of people, a lot of people handle stress that way it's a thing Mm -hmm. yeah anyway at this point he's like well at least my grandkids are with the one dinosaur guy (laughs) everyone's like that's what you have to say about that i mean he might be with the best person to be with in this situation but still there's like a 98 percent chance they're gonna die yeah so you should be more concerned yes but he then goes through this whole thing of like this was you know i made mistakes i can improve it but this is what mike and i were talking about in the book where he's like their deaths are, while unfortunate, have led us to understand what we need to do to fix the park. Yeah. It's wild. Their deaths won't be in vain because I'll use it to make money. Right. That's essentially his vibe, right? We cut to the next morning where they wake up in the tree with the brachiosauruses eating right by them. Oh, Very, very cute. But then it sneezes on Lex. Gross. But they also, as they kind of make their way back toward the visitor center, they find eggs in the wild, which is attributed to the amphibian DNA. Free range, page it's free range free range organic primo (laughs) eggs but this proves uh the chaos theory right that they did find a way to switch well amphibians can like that that's why yeah well yeah well they explain it but like that's that is the chaos theory being proven true here which like yeah you know Jeff Goldblum's character would literally never stop talking about, you know, like he would be like, hey, I called it and it, then it turned out to be this way. And I was right. Fuck y'all. I'm writing 90 books about it. Yep. And he does. And he gets famous in between book one and book two. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a thing that happens. Good for him. Anyway, Samuel L. Jackson at this point proposes this idea where if they shut everything down, it could wipe out the code and they could basically reboot the entire part. Yeah. The other option being something called the Lysine Contingency, where because they're engineering their genetics, if they deny them this one certain nutrient, they all go into a coma and die, except that wouldn't apply to the ones born in the wild. Right. So he basically turns the entire system off. It seems to be working, but they have to get to the circuit breakers to turn the power back on. We cut back to Grant and the kids, who basically get caught in a stampede, and the T-Rex just, like, picking off 
smaller dinosaurs. It's a really cool shot because they're like, yeah. they walk on that huge set where you can sort of see where the green screen is because the like the all the scenery dips down and then dips back up from out of like out of the shot. Like you can't see the connecting ground that connects it to it. So that's where the green screen is. But then they turn and they're like, oh, look, they're like migrating like birds. Like that is what they should be doing. Like we were right. Our theories were right. And then Timmy's like, but they're like migrating this way. We need to run. Right. <laughs> so like they run and then the bird, like, I don't even know what they are. The, I don't know. Like what, what are those dinosaurs? I think it's encephalosaurus or something. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, they start running and like they're trying to avoid them and they get around behind a log like this big down tree and then that's when they see the T-Rex come out and grab one and eat it and it's it's pretty brutal like they don't pull away you watch the thing get killed by the T-Rex it's yeah yep but we cut back to the control room where Samuel L. Jackson left to go flip the breakers and has not come back right and so now they're like we got to we got to send somebody else we got to go yeah so they take walkie-talkies and they get the blueprints and Raptor Hunter and Sadler are going to go and try and flip the breakers. And this is where Hammond's like, hey, could I get you to find my ne- my uh, grandkids as well while you're out there, right? He asks them, but they don't get a chance to because, you know, but yes, he does ask. Yeah. Well, yeah, they because like the shit hits the fan. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he does sort of ask them to. I'm just say- saying that because it sounds like that's different from the book. Like in the book, it seems like he's not as interested. No, he asks people to find them, but also it's not his top priority. Fair enough. His top priority is the park. Yeah. I still get that vibe in this movie, too. I, I do think that he is like, he's Santa Claus from Miracle on 34th Street. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. he is that actor. He's playing it that way on some level. So they, it's sort of hard to see him as a villain, even though ultimately he is the villain of this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Regardless, they get out into where the breakers are and they start making their way towards the shed. Yeah. But what do you know? There's raptors afoot. Yeah. And so he basically said, he's like, I need you to run towards the shed because we're being hunted. I've got her in my sights. She makes it to the shed. She gets through, she gets down, she flips the breakers. Everything comes back on. We did it. But then who should she find a raptor? In the middle of it, and then she backs into the wall, and it's Samuel L. Jackson's arm, which scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> they're like, oh my god, his arm is just gone. Paige, I hadn't seen this movie in probably 15 years, and it that part scared me today because I had fully forgotten that scare. How can you forget about the arm? I've I had fully forgotten about it. And I was like, oh gross. Like it, it got yep. me today. Well, and this is also intercut between Grant and the kids have finally made it back. Very close to the visitor center. They're trying to climb that last retaining wall fence. The power's not on, but then when she flips all the power back on, all the fences come on. It electrocutes Timmy. They're having to give him CPR, and he does come back, but man, that kid is worse for wear. Dude, he has been through a lot. Yes. And Lex's older sister's like, whatever dinosaur nerd and he's like well you're a computer nerd and she's like well actually we like to be called hackers and this is definitely going to come back later which they never fully establish like they just in that one line that's the only thing that's like she's good at computers but she saves the day later page i thought that that was very funny in the book it's established a lot more yeah oh i'm sure i'm sure i think in the book it's worse though i think it's the kid I think it's the reverse roles. I'm trying to remember. Something was different about the kids. Yeah, but I, I know that they establish more of like her hacking, though. But I don't remember. Yeah, it's been 
20 plus years, 30 years probably, close to it since I read that book. Anyway, Timmy comes back. Timmy! They make it to the visitor center. Yeah. And they leave the kids to basically eat because there's a ton of foods that food there. Sadler makes it back, but the guy who hunts raptors gets hunted by raptors. Clever girl. He gets clever girls. Yeah. Like, I think this is the most iconic death of the franchise. Yes. Is clever girl. Like, this is the one that gets, like, repeated throughout, like, pop culture, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and largely because of the, his last words, man. Like, they're so badass. Yeah. Like, he's he knows he's going to die, and he's like, fuck, you got me. You got me. And I love that about his character. Yeah. Like, he is the only one that I think respects the monsters that are running around them. Yeah. Well, and, and then we cut back to, so Sadler and Grant are going to go to the control room to try and figure out, you know, what to do. They think the kids are safe. Yeah. The kids are eating and then she has a, a spoon of jello up to her mouth and you just see her start to shake and we reverse to see the shadow of the raptors. It's so oh. scary. It's it's very well done. But, th and again, just to echo what you just said, Paige, like Sam Neill and Laura, Laura Dern did not like think they were still in danger right they even leave and she's like yeah one's still in the shed unless they know how to open doors and of course they do so they're all still in it, like they're all still out and about because he didn't knock on wood right when he said that that it's their fault for not knocking on wood yeah it's theirs mm -hmm. but they run into the industrial kitchen in the visitor center and thus thus begins one of the scariest scenes in cinema i ever saw probably until a, i was like a teenager like it's so tense and so scary and you're you're holding your breath the entire time so this scene right here is when i like i think i knew i didn't like horror movies as a kid because mm. this is the first movie i saw that was probably this definitely wasn't marketed as a horror movie it is definitely marketed as like an action adventure -y kind of movie yeah with quote monsters dinosaurs right but like this is and a, a few of the other scenes very horror movie like there's so much tension it just happens that they get away you know right but it is just like a horror movie beat for beat like the raptors are the two killers at the end of scream yeah and they're trying to kill everyone in the house right and it's beat for beat the same yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. so good and we cut back to them in the control room trying to figure out how to get the locks and everything rebooted and they can't yeah but the kids manage to lock one of the raptors in the freezer the other one's still on the loose they run out and make it into the control room but now that last raptor is trying to get through yeah into the control room yeah and this is where she's like it's a unix system i mouse 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 that's what i mean yeah well this is where yeah that's lex not laura dern but yeah she is looking at what I think the early 90s thought future 3D on computers would look like. Yes. And that is terrible. Like the computer stuff looks terrible. Terrible and not efficient for searching. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Like this whole thing would have been resolved in 10 minutes had we had the technology that they had literally in 1998. Yeah. On these machines. <laughs> like, yep. Like, it's wild how terrible this looks. But she does reboot all the systems and get the locks back on, and that saves them from this raptor. Well, momentarily, because right. the raptor comes through the glass. So they climb up into the ceiling. So I have a question for you based on that, because I think you're right. Sure. I do think the raptor was going to get through either way. Yeah. Just because they're so strong. 
But it gives them time to call Hammond, and Hammond hears them shoot the glass, right? Yeah. And he starts yelling, and I, I wondered if it was because, like, that glass was, like, so thick they wouldn't be able to get through unless he weakened it by shooting it. Does that make sense? I think so, because that's what he screams, not the glass. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, like, I wondered if, like, he sort of unintentionally fucks himself, he being Sam Neill, yeah. by shooting at them in the glass. Because the glass is strong enough that the bullet won't really hurt the raptor, even if it, like, if it does go through. So, like, it just weakens the glass and lets the raptors get through. Let's talk about this, because this is actually beat for beat, a scene from another movie that we have done uh, that came out a fair amount of years before this. Aliens, in which they yeah. shoot the glass because of the face hugger, yes. which then doesn't it, it removes the ability for them to kind of cordon themselves off in the medical bay. Right. It's that same idea. But yeah, I, I think he kind of did. But they they climb up through the ceiling tiles and pop down into the main lobby onto the scaffolding and then onto the bones. When the raptor pops up and like I think it's Lex or maybe Timmy. Oh, and she falls through the ceiling. Yes. Yeah. Who's who's on yeah, it's it's Lex, right? So Lex is like up in the air and then Sam Neil just kicks the raptor in the face. I was like, yes. fuck yeah, Sam Neil, kick that fucking raptor <laughs> in the face. Hell yeah. It's like punching a shark. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so great. It almost kills Lexi though, because when he falls back down, the whole ceiling tile falls out too, right? Right, right. Well, and then they have to snatch her up because the raptor jumps for her, but they end up on scaffolding and then on the bones. Yeah. And now there's multiple raptors around hunting them. Dude, when it jumps, when one of the raptors jumps on the center section of bones and it's like, I think yes. it's Timmy and Sam Neill and then Sam Neill drops Timmy down to the ground. But like the, the raptors like climbing on the rib cage section of the bones. Yeah. There, like trying to get Sam Neill. Like it's tense, man. This scene is super tense. It's a good thing the T-Rex can teleport for plot reasons. Yeah, well, and, and we have given the T-Rex time, I guess, to slow walk its way through the various fences to get here. Right. Unless there's two, which in the book, I, I believe there was two, and that was part of how this happens in the book. So the T-Rex shows up and just like, snacks on a raptor which gives them a chance to run away well and the other raptor then like turns its attention to the t-rex and starts attacking the t-rex and it just becomes like a t-rex it becomes the end of every jurassic park movie which right like this sort of thing happens in every jurassic park movie it's the there's always a bigger fish moment from the prequels in star wars right it's like right that beat for beat uh, what that? time 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 no 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 we are not going to reference that moment as an iconic moment i strike it from the it's pod. not an iconic moment i just knew that what you meant i agree that the there's always a bigger fish moment in the prequels is not an iconic moment that is what is happening in this scene and happens at the end of every jurassic park movie i've seen it's because jurassic park doesn't understand what's truly scary or, or at least after this movie they stop understanding it because what What's the scariest, the scariest scenes in this movie? The T-Rex, arguably, but that raptor scene. If you ask yeah. people what's the scariest part of Jurassic Park, it's the raptors. They're not bigger. They're just smarter. Yeah. And they can hunt you. So the fact that every Jurassic Park movie after this movie just gets bigger and like uh, the monster gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I was like, it's not that they're big. It's that they're smart. And so like when they made the raptors good, I guess they didn't really have an option. But like. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of it. So there was a script before Jurassic World where the government 
bred raptors to yes. like fight, and then they like got loose and started breeding in the wild. So there was just raptors attacking civilian populations on Earth, and it yes seemed like it was very intense and cool. Had like an aliens vibe. Yeah. Oh, you mean like where bears came from? What? Yeah, I don't know. Bears were built by the U.S. government, and they just got out of their habs. And now live amongst us. Then why are there bears other places? There bears hundreds of years ago before the government was formed. Yeah. Or is that what they want you to believe? <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Revenantation. Yes. <laughs> I messed it up. You've got to read my book, The Revenant Covenants. Um, anyway. That's a very polarizing bear. Yes. <laughs> they, they get to Hammond and Malcolm and he says the very iconic line, I cannot endorse your park. Hammond says it's over. They get in the Jeep. They get in the helicopter. They fly away. Hammond says something very important. He says, yeah, me neither. Which is not what happens in the book. No, he doesn't say me neither. He says it's over. No, he does. He says, he says, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. He says the same thing. Yeah, he says, I agree. Oh. Okay. Which I think, from what I'm hearing you, is very unlike him in the book. Yes. And that's like, I think in this movie, they try and make him a more likable character than I think he was in the books. Yes. And I, I, I think they succeed because I don't necessarily hate Hammond, even though on paper... He's the villain. A big theme in the books is like the dinosaurs aren't bad guys. They're just from a different time and we were idiots for bringing him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are are we paying for our hubris of science? Yes. Boom. Boom. Godzilla approaches. Yeah. Like that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But in this one, he's like, oh, shucks. Oh, shucks. But they get into a helicopter and as they leave, they see birds flying comparing, you know, like that these are the modern day dinosaurs. For some reason, and I, I I always remembered it being pterodactyls. It's not. It's just regular birds. It's not. No, they're just like seabirds. Yeah. They're like pelicans or some shit. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. So having seen the movie and we talked about the movie, what did you guys think about the Steven Spielberg 1993 masterpiece, Jurassic Park? It holds the fuck up it really does yeah. even the cgi holds up better than most cgi from like the early to mid 2000s like <laughs> it's so good and it was 93 it's so good it's boring to talk about yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> merry christmas merry christmas it's practical with cg laid over yeah so like th that's why it works so well that's why it looks so good it is the perfect very very subtle mix of the two yeah and it, it really does hold up. Like, I think story structure wise, it holds up very well. The pace does amazingly. Like, it's breakneck speed. Even though it's a two hour movie, it doesn't feel like it. Like, it's great. Yeah. For 20 years after this film, people were like, why does this not look as good as Jurassic Park? I think, yes, I think you're right. I say that about stuff all the time. Yes. But this, this is one of the movies I compare it to. Uh, where I'm I'm like, we did this better 30 years ago. I mean, there are Marvel and DC movies that don't look as good as this movie. Yeah. 100%. Well, it's over-reliance on CG. That's I, I really do sure. advocate for a hybrid model. Half practical, half, you know, layered over. Yes. It looks better that way. We've talked about that in a lot of different episodes. Like, the, the one that sticks out the most is the remake of The Thing, or, like, the newer The Thing, right? Yeah, yeah, Where, yeah. like, they were going to do practical overlaid CGI, and then they, like, the studio wanted them to redo the whole thing CGI, CGI, and it looks like trash. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we've definitely touched that topic before, and this movie, I think, sets the groundwork on what should be the industry standard. At least in my mind. Yeah. I also compare things like Aliens, where I'm like, 
that that's all practical yeah for the most part you know it's like and if it doesn't look that good i'm like what are you doing come on now yeah (laughs) unless you're purposefully doing it bad right like what's going on yeah Hang on. I just realized that the guy who plays Hammond is Richard Attenborough. Yeah. He's Sir Richard Attenborough? Yeah. Yeah, I just realized that he is like a lord. Stealing one of Paige's fun facts, he came out of retirement for this film. Yep, he did. Well, and the famous David Attenborough is his brother. Like, I didn't realize that they were related. Yeah. How many Attenboroughs do you think there are? I don't fucking know. How many fucking Wesleys are there? I have no idea. It's not Smith. <laughs> I mean, but it, I mean, I don't know. It's just his name seems like Robert British last name. I don't know. Like, I don't live over there. I don't know who the Attenboroughs are. They seem like they're a very prestigious family, though. I mean, if your brother is David Attenborough and you're a famous actor and you have other siblings, they better be like impressive people or they are like the black sheep of the family. Henry Cavill has like four brothers. Like, how does it feel to be one of those dudes? And Paige just wants three of them, Henry. Why won't you return her texts? (laughs) Just give me one. I think they're all older and married, (laughs) but... But Paige ain't asking questions. Well, Paige, do you have any fun facts for us about Jurassic Park? I have too many fun facts. Hit and switch your fun facts. Dino fun facts. Uh, There is a book about the making of this movie, The Making of Jurassic Park, an adventure 65 million years in the making. There's also an episode, uh, The Movies That Made Us, uh, that talks about the making of Jurassic Park. Also, highly recommend. We're not going to get to anywhere near the amount of fun facts that are available about this movie, we're just going to get to a few. So the roar of the T-Rex is a mix of a dog, a penguin, a tiger, an alligator, and a baby elephant. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's such an iconic sound too. Like yes. when I heard it, I was like, that's the sound, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just like remember it. Yeah. Now, apparently when they were trying to get those that audio, uh, the basis of it is the alligator kind of gurgle the like low rumbling alligator gurgle but the high pitched part of it is that elephant and it's the baby elephant they could only get it to do it one time they could never get the the elephant to do it again little baby little baby elephant (laughs) yeah yeah uh never heard it do it before it's a weird sound they got it like once in order to do that what they had to do is get that baby elephant's mother and throw that baby elephant's mother in jail and then yeah. get her to rock that baby elephant outside the uh, thing, so outside the jail. And it just like cried. It was just crying. It was so sad. But so they then kind of cobbled it all together into a sound. Now, they specifically spent most of their time on sound design in that T-Rex scene where it first gets out of the paddock. Yeah. And people didn't know it was going to roar like that. So in the first test screenings, people freaked the fuck out. It's it's scary, man. Like, I wouldn't expect that either. Yeah. But in that moment, you're like, I guess I've never, I don't fucking know what dinosaurs, I've never seen a dinosaur in my life. Yeah. So like, this could be fair, whatever. Yeah, okay. Yep. Now, people have always been interested in dinosaurs because kids exist, uh, but this movie coming out generated a huge amount of interest in young people. Of course. And as a result, numerous new dinosaur species have been discovered since the movie at a rate of almost 50 new discoveries per year or about one new dinosaur per week in some years. Oh, wow. Good God. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, much like Jaws, the T-Rex, which was an animatronic, uh, occasionally malfunctioned in the rain. Yeah, I I heard that. Yeah, that scene in the rain was very difficult. Yep. Now, here's the thing, though. Unlike the Jaws shark, where they could never get it to function when they wanted to, 
they had that problem with the T-Rex, but they had an additional problem where sometimes it would just come alive when they didn't expect it to. What? It was haunted? Yeah, well, just the rain was causing it to, like, short out, so people would be like, oh, we can't use it, but then it would dry out, and it would come back, like, full force. So, like... The crew would just be like hanging out, and all of a sudden it's like, ah! <laughs> like rearing. That would be so scary, though. Like I would lose my mom just eating my sandwich at craft services, and that's, I hear this T Rex roar and run around. I'd be like, "What the fuck?" Literally. So one of the producers, Kathleen Kennedy, talked about this in an interview. She says we'd be eating lunch, and all of a sudden the T Rex <laughs> would come alive. And at first we didn't know what was happening, but then we would just hear people start <laughs> screaming. That's wild. Oh, that would be so scary. This is really funny. Okay, so it's not so that the Triceratops is not strictly the pregnancy thing, but it th- th- there are other scenes in the book that suggest this. But in the screenplay, they originally did give a little more explanation that because they didn't have suitable teeth for grinding food, they would swallow rocks and use them as gizzard stones, and then they would be so smooth and they'd regurgitate them uh, and then would find new rocks to use. So they were accidentally maybe ingesting the berries but then regurgitate th- regurgitating them. So that's why she doesn't find them in the poop. But I think they were like, this is too much information on this one scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It doesn't need any of that. It, it doesn't need it. Uh, and in, in the book, there's they discover signs of pregnancy and stuff in people. But I mean, we sort of do get that in the movie, too. But that's just the eggs they come across that are like, you know, obviously hatched. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, in the second one, poop becomes a bigger thing because like a dinosaur poops out a sat phone. Because it ate somebody who had a sat phone. It's like a whole thing. It, I think at that point, it becomes a shat phone page, please. Yep. Mm-hmm. When Hurricane Iniki hit while they were filming this in the Hawaiian Islands, uh, mostly on Kauai and a little bit on Maui, the cast and crew were required to move into the ballroom of their hotel for safety. Sure. Everyone came except for Sir Richard Attenborough, who just slept through it in his hotel room <laughs> like nothing was wrong. And people were like, how did you sleep through that? And he said, quote, my dear, I survived the blitz. And that was his answer. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to argue with that. You're like, all right, well, he did, yeah. guys. He, he did survive the blitz, I guess. So originally, the raptors in the movie were supposed to be the same size as raptors in real life, or at least what we believe them to be, which is five or six feet tall, about the size of humans. Yeah. The raptors in the movie are almost 10 feet tall. Yeah, they're definitely taller than Stan Neal, who I think is, I think he's around six feet, maybe a little bit like smaller, but like around. He's Yeah. He's definitely over five foot. Yeah, and, and they based this on 10 foot tall specimens of raptors called Udoraptors. Um, so they're not velociraptors. They're like a different kind. But he also wanted them to be bird-like, like a chicken. So they wanted them to be able to turn their heads to the look behind them so they could have a scarier appearance. Yeah. And then that's when they also added the tapping its claw like Morse code to any raptor listening. So the, they made some ad- additions to what raptors are believed to be. And also raptors, again, believed to have had feathers. Yeah. Supposedly. When Michael Crichton was asked why his novel Jurassic Park has a dinosaur from the Cretaceous period on the cover, he replied that it had never occurred to him and admitted that it was just the best looking design. <laughs> what Jurassic, what, what dinosaurs on the front? T-Rex. T-Rex. There, there's T-Rex on the front. Oh, is it not from Jurassic time period? Okay. It's the T-Rex sc- skull. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have noticed, but whatever. Me either. But also that's like a, who cares nerd? 
Yeah. I mean, that is like one of those things that like, oh, I can't go see Jurassic Park because I am a paleontologist and they get so much wrong. Like, I would understand that, but I don't have that knowledge that makes me realize it's wrong. So I'm here for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You should try watching uh, horror movies as a mental health professional. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean when you watch your close personal hero, Dr. Loomis? Or Dr. Chalice. Friend of the pod. Oh, Dr. Chalice is doing it right, though. I'll say that. <sighs> he is. Dr. Loom is fucking up. So here, this should give you an indication of how popular Michael Crichton was at the time. Because this is like, let's call it 1990s money. Let me see when this was, uh, when the book was published. Uh, so the book was originally published in 1990. Yes. So 1990 money. In 1990, before the book was even released, Michael Crichton was paid $2 million for the film rights to his novel before it was even published. That's unheard of today. And if you adjust for inflation, that's almost $4.7 million today. Yeah, that's wild unheard of back then. Now, here's the thing. to Modern day, that's now a really common practice to buy books before they're published, where publishers will actually send advanced copies uh, so that you know, studios get a look at things or if it's an author that's particularly famous. Sure. That was not necessarily as common at the time, although it did happen with some movies. But two million dollars in 1990 for a book that wasn't even out yet. But Crichton was already famous at the time, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's how much faith they had in him. Yeah. Now, in the book, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, Michael Crichton has said that he wanted John Hammond to be like a dark Walt Disney and based him off of P.T. Barnum. So that should tell you how evil and dark he is in the book. Yeah. So I do do think I like the P.T. Barnum comparison because, you know, P.T. Barnum was just completely fine killing all kinds of animals for money. Yep. Now, also, uh, I should also note Michael Crichton, not only that two million for optioning the rights, he also got a substantial percentage of gross on the back end. So dude made fucking money on this movie. Yeah, we'll talk about how much money this movie made. Yeah. Uh, so Ariana Richards, who plays Lex, her audition was largely just her screaming. <laughs> but they were like, she's great at screaming. She does have that scream, man. When she like is seeing the T-Rex when she gets out of the car for the first time covered in mud and she starts screaming and Samuel grabs her mouth. Like that is an iconic scream for me, too. Like that. Yeah. was like burned in my memory as a child. Yep. John Williams, who made the score, uh, did it in February of 1993. So literally like right before the movie was supposed to come out uh, and recorded it just a month later. But one of the comments he made about it was not only did he need to underscore the doom and enormity of the monsters that are happening, but he, quote, wanted to write pieces that would convey a sense of awe and fascination given the overwhelming happiness and excitement that would come from seeing live dinosaurs, which is where that very iconic, like, that's what he was trying to, like, specifically convey what it would be like to see a dinosaur. The ability of John Williams to turn a feeling into music (laughs) that will then evoke that feeling in its listeners is insane to me. He is so good at that. Because when you mentioned both of those feelings, I was like, that is what I, that is what I feel when I see the dinosaurs and hear that music. The fascination, the wonder, the amazement. Like, he fucking nails it. So let's talk a little bit about, we'll, we'll end on this because I think this is one of the things that still stands the test of time with this movie. Originally, the job of animating the dinosaurs was done by Phil Tippett, who did it in stop motion animation 
the way that Harryhausen used to classically do it. Now, sure, yeah. they did add motion blur to make the movements seem less jerky and more convincing, um, which they had previously used for AT-ATs in uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, which I think are very, is very effective in Empire Strikes Back. It is. They'd also used it on Robocop 2, so it was an established way to do it. Um, however, ILM, which had grown out of the Star Wars franchise, it was George Lucas's pet. Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, they still, yeah. They still do work today. Like, they're crushing it yeah yeah they're owned by disney now but yeah, yeah. so two of the uh, visual effects artists steve williams and mark dippy suggested that they could do it fully on computers now that had not been done before and the reason they had originally kind of not wanted to go that route is because it didn't look very good yeah and so their boss a guy named dennis murin told them that they couldn't do a better job than the stop motion which actually looked very very good so they created test animation uh, and invited the producers to see it. And then they invited Steven Spielberg to look. And so they ordered another test reel. So what they eventually did was that they basically took some of that stop motion and layered it in with that ILM work. Uh, where they still had some of the animatronics, but ILM animated a lot of the dinosaurs like in herds and emotion that you see. That's awesome. I mean, they, they do a great job. It still holds up. Like yeah. the CGI still holds up today. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it looks amazing. And those are your fun facts. Well, thank you for those fun facts. Let's talk a little bit about box office. So what do you think the budget for Jurassic Park was in 1993, guys? Paige, you may have to recuse yourself. Do you know? I don't know. Then take a guess, baby. I'm going to guess $42 million. Okay. I'm going to say 55 Mikey, you're closer. It was actually $63 million. And in 1993, that's like $133.8 million yeah. today. So it's a lot. Now, I'll say this. DC just spent $300 million on The Flash. And this looks better than The Flash using 1993 technology. And it was yeah. made for if you even if you adjust for inflation, less than half the budget of the Flash. Anyway, well, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> uh, yes, that iconic moment from the prequel movies, right, Mikey? So this movie came out on June 11th, 1993. It was the number one movie in America that weekend. It beat Cliffhanger, which was number two. Number three was Made in America. Number four was Guilty as Sin, and number five was Dave, which is a movie we've done on Romance in the Pod, literally. Out of all top five of those movies, I like four of them. I've never heard of Guilty as Sin, but still. What do you think Jurassic Park made in its opening weekend, guys? So much money. Yeah, I'm going to say 70 mil. Okay. Is this the first movie to make 100 million on its opening weekend? It is not. No, I'll, I'll give you that. It is not. That's the late 90s is when that peaked, I think. Uh, I'm going to say 80. You think it's $80 million, Mikey? Yeah. So this movie actually brought in $50.1 million in its okay. opening weekend. Now, that was still like, okay, so the number two movie, Cliffhanger, brought in $7.6 million that weekend. That's appropriate for Cliffhanger. I mean, yes, you're not wrong. I mean, that's a rated R film, and that's a banger. I do want to say this. It was in theaters from July 11th all the way until December 17th, 1993. In that time, it bounced around, you know, the ranks in the theaters. But in its first three weeks, it was number one. It was then number two for its fourth and fifth week. And then it dropped to number five and stayed there for three weeks. But then it like bounced back and forth between like 10 and five for like 10 weeks. It was still like one of the top movies in the theaters when it was like 15 weeks out from its release date. 
It eventually got re-released in December uh, and was 11th the week it was re-released and played from December 17th until October 7th of 1994. So this movie was in and out of theaters for over a year from when it was released. Anyway, what do you think it brought in domestically at the box office in its theatrical run? Now, this does include the money that it made in 1983 and 94, and it did re-release in 2013 for a few weeks. It wasn't in a shitload of theaters, but um, it did bring in a pretty substantial amount of money in uh, 2013, too. I think I saw it in 2013. (laughs) I think so, too. It was on 2,771 screens for like the first three weeks it was out. And then it dropped to like a lot lower screens. It's an, it's an older movie, but it was re-released yeah. in 2013. And it, this does include all that money. I'm going to say 200. Okay, Mikey, what do you think? 160. Okay, so it made $415 uh, million domestically. It then also made an extra $643 million internationally. For a total of, this may be a first for this podcast, $1 billion at the Damn. box office in 1993. That is $2.2 billion today, guys, is what it made in the theaters. Uh, and just to sort of bring things full circle with The Flash, that cost $300 million to make today. Uh, it made $266.5 million in the box office. All I'm saying is Jurassic Park holds up way better and oh, yeah. kicked its ass in theaters. And I'm not necessarily picking on Flash because I hate the Flash. I didn't see it. It's just like the most recent big budget movie that came out that bombed. So I'm sort of making fun of it. But Oh, everything's bombed. It's easier. Well, because... People couldn't go out and promote it as a huge piece of that. True. Okay, so Jurassic Park, it's six films, have brought in just over $6 billion at the box office. Like, literally $6 billion, $25 million in the box office in their various theatrical runs. I didn't adjust all that for inflation, but there you go. And that's including Jurassic Park 3 that only brought in $365.9 Because it is one of the worst ones. I know, but they still average $1 billion per movie. Like, that's nuts. Anyway, that's your box office, guys. Well, I think there's something instinctively awesome about dinosaurs. I agree. Being on Earth killing people. I think that's why there's a resurgence of Godzilla movies uh, and content that's doing pretty well. Like, But, Mikey, do you want to hit them with that scary scale? Yeah. Uh, scary scale listeners, a scale of one to ten. How scary we found the film we watched it today. Or one example is Ghostbusters. Our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Page. Uh, today it was a one, but I mean, like as a kid, like an eight. Same. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like so. For me today, I would say it was probably a two because his arm got me because I completely forgot about it. But I would say an eight or maybe a seven when I was a kid. Like this movie stuck with me for days afterwards when I first saw it. Yeah, I'm gonna say same. It's like a one today, but like it was. Very like eight or nine or ten back when I was a kid. Yeah, if you show this to an eight-year-old child, it's going to scare them. Yeah. You should show this to an eight-year-old child is what we're saying. Sure, that's the way we saw it, and we're normal, well-adjusted people, so I'm sure it's fine, right? I feel like it would blow a kid's mind even today, which speaks volumes to how much it holds up that kids would probably still be scared shitless of this movie. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Agree, yeah. And that's our scary scale. Well, this week... The listeners made us watch Jurassic Park. And honestly, guys, thank you so much for that. Merry Christmas, by the way. Uh, And we loved it. So 
what are we going to watch next week? So this month, January, it's the new year. We thought it'd be fun to revisit because our last revisited month, people had a lot of fun with. Very excited to do it again. So this month, there's five Mondays. So we each picked a movie to redo and then collectively picked one amongst the three of us. And then there'll be a listener request. So we're going to start out with the one that we collectively picked as a group. And that is the original Carrie. Yeah. So your homework for next week. Yeah is to revisit the original Carrie and then check back for that first revisited episode of 2024, guys. Yeah. Yo, happy new year. Merry Christmas. Like, it's a crazy, oof, I can't believe it's already 2024. Okay, I can't wait till we get to my pick. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm excited for your pick. I'm excited for my pick. I'm excited for Mikey's pick. I'm excited, I'm excited for, excited for all the whole them, month. Although some of your guys' are a little scary. Mine is not. I mean... <laughs> That's the point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? No, I forgot. We got we got really into that discussion. We did uh, when we were deciding what movies we were going to do. So, while you're looking one up, Mikey, let me read a Spotify comment that came up on our Psycho episode. And this one's from Emily, and I'm going to read it because she complimented me. So, thank you so much, Emily. And she said, in quotes, he brought a bucket and a mop to a wet-ass murder, end quote, Made my soul leave my body. Hats off to Todd for that one. And thank you. <laughs> I uh, don't remember saying that, but I did remember listening back to it in the edit and laughing. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> yes. So, Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? Chris Cox. Chris I'm sorry, Cox what, was that? what was that name, Mikey? Chris Cox, Chris Cox rules the skies. One, two, three, four. Okay, Chris Chris Cox rules the skies. One, two, three, four. What do they have to say? Ten star review. Hell yeah. This podcast literally makes me want to do my job. I deliver for Chick-fil-A, which means I'm alone in my car for most of my shift. Oh, nice. Before I found yeah. y'all, I jammed to my music, quote unquote, over and over. Wait, are, is music in quotes? Music is in quotes. So what was he really listening to that he had to put music in quotes? I think it's just music. Is, I, he likes quotes, okay? Uh, <laughs> okay? You guys lift me up. my you, let, you guys lift up my day with your fabulous chemistry and comedy. Uh, Paige, without exaggeration, made me choke on my drink as I was driving. Um, Mikey <laughs> I and almost Todd. killed a guy. <laughs> yeah, good for you, Paige. <laughs> Uh, Mikey and Todd have a love for horror that they give their all each and every episode. I'd give 10 stars if possible, five stars. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it was Chris Cox rules the sky one, two, three, four. Yes. No notes on that name. Well, Chris, thank you so much for ruling the skies and for that awesome five-star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your five-star review or me read your Spotify comment, do one of those things and we'll do the reading of it or whatever. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm -hmm, than the regular mm -hmm. feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you want to financially support me, but not Todd, just look me up 
up on Venmo. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash horror virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. Literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome. Guys, check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. This episode's brought to you by Tia, and Tia's teenager's been, like, driving her crazy this week. So how has Tia's teenager been driving her crazy this week, guys? She's using a Unix system. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like the only one person who still knows how to use that system <laughs> and she won't shut up about it we get it Tia's teenager you're super into old useless technology this episode also brought to you by Jonathan and Jonathan wants me to make you guys watch some videos so I'm going to steal your screens and force you to watch this video that he sent us from TikTok right now it's called Canadian Pacific Holiday Train Mikey, I have a feeling this is going to be for you. Very cool. Oh, damn. This is like a fully yeah. decked out, decorated train. And I know that because it says train on the side of it and lights. That is hilarious. I love that. I love a good Christmas train. It's a holiday train never coming back. I like that that's the train song you went to. And my brain went like, going down the rails on a Christmas train. I prefer your version. Although this train's pretty awesome. It's just like if Mikey decorated a train. But I like it. This train is full of coal for all the bad children coming straight from the coal mines of West Virginia. Hell yeah, that's what it is. From Canadian West Virginia, because it clearly says mm -hmm. Canadian Pacific Holiday Train. But Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing that awesome Holiday Train video with us. And thank you so much for the support. We now return you to what I'm going to assume is going to be a dinosaur-themed episode of uh, The, the Patreonicals. Welcome back. Definitely remembering everything here nice okay we have reached a the the big train and the big bus have reached a body of water an oasis if you will yes and they are going to set up a base and so they like circle they like start building a fence and circling the buses and they're and then uh they um bo easy straps Allie to his jet ski and takes her out into the Oasis's lake and she finally goes in and is feeling better. They have cured her. It's so good. Nice. Uh, Isaac is like, we've got to get out of Mad Max land. These storylines are getting old and arid. <laughs> <laughs> good use. And uh, Good use of that word there, buddy. <laughs> thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Kate is setting everything up with her psychic powers. Karuna and Natasha are like, we're back up to 74 children. And uh, the, we're sending some go some of them out in their go-karts to go scout it out. 
but we are rebuilding our race of blue people. And they do it very fast. Like they have yes. that. I think it's like butt sex, like where they're rubbing butts together. And that's what makes that's the correct. babies. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know how Mikey thought that up, but I'm here for it. That's in canon. Uh, Aaron has the bow and arrow and um, and she's like, I'm going to set up atom- automatic bow and arrow things on on the walls. And they're like, OK, cool. And um, Jeremy, uh, with his robotic foot with a bunch of lasers on it, is like, even in this new world, my whole thing is a laser, and I, I don't want my foot to be off. I want my foot to be on, and I want laser eyes back. And he cries laser tears. <laughs> How do you cry a laser tear? <laughs> uh, Libby is using her mechanical arm, and um, like uh, that other lady did in that movie, and is telling everybody <laughs> what to do. Mr. Mr. Ragebomb is using his fireworks to meld stuff together. Nice. Sunzi has uh, set, they've set him up a stage where he is playing his flame guitar on stage uh, inside the Oasis. Very good. Uh, River Moon has set up a makeshift little hospital. Uh, Sex Scalibur bones a lot is, he's talking to them. He's like, I want to be a real person. I need you guys to get me out of here. I thought I'd become a real person once we left fairy tale land and uh river moon feeds him some happy fungus. And so happy fungus uh, is just magic. It's psilocybin. That's what that is. Like yes. that's what she gave. Us. Yeah. They made this big entrance with a gate and Vixen Avery has set up her machine guns and is the gatekeeper there. So they have like, a whole uh, but, town. They're like building a whole town. Like, yeah, they're building a whole civilization. They're, they're tired of running and they've got enough things here to survive. They're using the water to build crops and stuff. They're, 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 they're making they're making a civilization. Uh, anyway, outside, there's a bunch of smoke and stuff. And Emotion Joe Edward, he's like, we want your place to live. <laughs> and uh, Madeline is doing her cartwheels on her giant platform truck where she with a bunch of guns on it where she's platforming on just doing cartwheels over and over again hell yeah west the handsome dude who's cut up from the last couple of episodes and you're like oh good they cut him up so he wouldn't be so handsome but like he wears the scars so well guys he's still like super fucking hot you know what i'm saying yeah so it's setting up for a conflict hell yeah i can't win I can't wait to see how that's resolved on another episode of uh, The, the Patreonicals. That's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Yeah. Have a great Christmas. I literally was wrapping Christmas presents before this episode started, and I have to get back to wrapping them now. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Dino DNA nerds! Dino DNA. <laughs>